magic is power. Episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I am your legacy newbie. With me this week, as always, Jerry. What's going on, man? Not much, Pat. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, you know, as always, uh, we are brought to you every Friday by HipstersTheCoast.com. Make sure to check out Hipsters uh, for awesome legacy content and more. And also, if you want to support the show, you know, you can visit patreoncom legacy. Uh, they do donations anywhere from a dollar to a, you know, sky's the limit. Um, we have awesome rewards, stickers, uh, we do shoutouts in the cast, we have playmats going out. Actually, I'm sending out some more tomorrow, so that'll be awesome. Uh, you can check it out, the link is in the show notes. And also, we are doing a couple raffles with some of the playmats that were donated to the podcast. Um, we're going to use the funds from those raffles to send over to uh, Zemet, who's running the uh, the charity tournament down in Missouri. Um, I think it's in two or three weeks. Uh, it's a cancer benefit for one of their locals. Um, so we're going to raffle those off. Um, so if you are into the playmats, I think we have the Geist one uh, from Vegas. I'm sorry, from Columbus. And the Thalia one from the SCG Open a few a few uh, SCG Opens ago. Um, so if you're interested in those, go to the Facebook page. Um, just pick a couple spots. And uh, when they fill up, we'll raffle them off on video. So, um, uh, Do we have an extra Leaving a Legacy playmat, Pat? I we, don't remember the numbers. We may, we might. Let me. I will go through them tonight and we'll find out for sure. And if we have an extra one... Maybe that'd be a fun one to raffle off as well. Yeah, throw that up on there. Um, all right, awesome. So uh, this week, Jerry, you had um, one of our local judges t- to come on. Uh, you want to introduce him? Oh, yeah. Not just judge, tournament organizer extraordinaire, <laughs> the one and only, as he's affectionately known, Judge Gill. <laughs> How's it going, man? Pretty good, pretty good. How's it going, guys? Good. Thanks so much for coming on tonight. Absolutely no problem. I uh, love listening to your podcast every week, and I'm very excited to be a part of it. Oh, thanks, oh yeah, That's thanks. Awesome. Appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Gil, you're really well known, uh, well known around you know the uh, New England Magic community, especially in the Legacy community. Uh, you're definitely one of the pillars of the of the area. You know, you just kind of have your hand in a little bit of everything. You want to just kind of give us the rundown of what what you're up to uh, these days? Uh, sure. Uh, I like you mentioned, uh, I am one of the organizers for uh, the sort of like tri-state area. I uh, work directly with TJ Collectibles as their uh, organized play manager, and I also work with uh, any number of local game stores on their PPTQs. I I help mentor and train their judges. Um, I work very closely with uh, Kyle at Scholars uh, and Eric at Brainstorm MTG in Wormwood with uh, helping them with whatever they need to make Legacy the best format it already is. Um, That's that's about it. I've been judging for... About five years, and it's it's been quite a ride. <laughs> yeah, I bet I'm I'm excited for this because you know I feel so much of magic is always focused on the the kind of the front end of things, the gameplay. But 99% of people who attend a tournament, their entire experience with a tournament is just playing in the event, maybe going to vendors and picking up cards, maybe seeing some artists, but that's about it. Very few people, I feel, have a real understanding of how things operate behind the scenes, you know, what it takes to put together an event, what it takes to work an event, you know, judging, just everything. Uh, so I, I'm, re- I'm excited to kind of dive into the dark underbelly of magic. 
Well, you know, as uh, as as people mention, when uh, when things are going right, players will never know about it, uh, and that's the that's the most important part to me. Uh, you mentioned that players, you know, have go to tournaments for their experience, and the people working behind the scenes, you know, they don't know they don't necessarily notice them, and that's like the biggest compliment you could have given me, Jerry. I really appreciate that. <laughs> All right, because you know, if I do my job right, you're not supposed to notice me. Like uh-huh. that's just that's just the way it is. Not all, right. all heroes wear capes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So you want to know more about running a tournament? Is that right? Yeah. Well, before we get into that, tell us, you know, what's your history? Just give us the rundown. When did all you right. start playing Magic? How did you get to where you are now? All right. So I started playing Magic. Well, I started playing Magic originally, like at summer camp, Boy Scout camp, you know. I thought that when you tapped a forest, you put a when you tapped a uh, land where elves, you put a forest from your deck out and play untapped. <laughs> you know, it was the real quality experience. I actually started playing Magic my first year of college um, mm. at the uh, UMass Dartmouth uh, Gaming Center, uh, well their club. It was uh, it was quite a good experience. Uh, I was still pretty bad, but I got into uh, you know I got into playing competitively. It wasn't until I went to uh, Game King, the local gaming store in Fall River, Massachusetts, that I got into Legacy. Uh, I met my my local playgroup, you know, John Ashworth, uh, Matt, and uh, what do you call it? Adam. And, you know, we, we got to testing and playing Legacy four or five, six times a week. And eventually I got mediocre enough to think I was good enough to go to an SCG Open, uh, which was true. Um, so <laughs> you you could go. You found you could go to an SCG. I found I, I was able to go. <laughs> the, uh, the, believe it or the not, the place did not burn down upon your entry. <laughs> so yeah. what uh what what like sets had just come out when I? Uh, okay, right, this was this was Innistrad. Innistrad uh, original, okay. yeah, best best draft format ever. <laughs> uh, so you know, I started going to SCG opens. Uh, I played Blue Black Reanimator, which is which was the best deck ever. Uh. <laughs> It was. It's great. You just put Grizzlebrand in play and you win. Like, <laughs> Grizzlebrand just come out too, so like we were all wicked excited about that card. Um, you know, and uh, eventually I decided that Standard was the worst format in the entire world, <laughs> and uh, decided to go talk to one of the SCG reps, Jared Silva, and say, "Hey, Jared, uh, I'm interested in becoming a judge. What, you know, what are the steps?" And then he said, "You know, he knew me as a player, so he said, like, you know, how much do you know about the rules?" Uh, a couple of other questions that aren't relevant to becoming a judge anymore. Uh, and, you know, I said enough of the right things where he let me go uh, to the next SG Open, which was two weeks after that in uh, New Jersey, and work for him on, on day one on Saturday uh, with the hopes of becoming tested. Wow. That's kind yeah. of... I don't know many people who their first event was a Star City Games event. I feel that's kind of throwing you in the deep end. It, 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 and, uh, we'll have, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that event because it was quite the experience. Um, it was, do you remember the 2012 Gold Rush event from Star City Games? Oh, yeah. They had, they like, they had one of every card from like the first five sets or something like that, and everyone got a random one when they, yeah, when they signed it was, up. So, so that event was supposed to have about 600 players. Uh, instead it had 950. <laughs> um, just a nice 50% <laughs> increase. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and they they'd only staffed for like six hundred because that's you know at the time SCG opens were anywhere from four hundred to six hundred players, and uh, so yeah, that event uh, I was paired with a judge named Andrew. He was pretty great, uh, except we were all so busy that he left me because I knew nothing about like you know how to make a tournament actually work at this point. All I knew was 
I'm here to get judge stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, where, when do I get those sweet foils? <laughs> nah, it wasn't, it wasn't that uh, But, you know, so he left me on the floor for like two hours to answer people's questions. And when it came to like rules things, I got those right. I didn't explain them well, but I got them right. And when it came to anything else, I was like, one sec, guys. I'll be right back. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then at the end of the day, I uh, I managed to pass my level one exam with a very good score, and uh, the rest is history, I suppose. I should hope so with a trial by fire, like uh, an understaffed yeah. event. <laughs> deep end, just... Wow. Okay. So so from there, you were kind of hooked. Uh, so would you say you're primarily a judge or primarily a player these days? Uh, so I do play. Uh, I've been on the Pro Tour once. I uh, have played in three RPTQs. Um, the way it turns out, I am primarily a judge right now. Uh, that may change in the near future, but I am currently primarily an organizer and judge. Mm-hmm. Any any regrets with that? Like with that? I mean, I feel that's a big step for people when they want to get into the judge experience. It's almost like saying, you know, I have more enjoyment with the legacy, or not just legacy, but the Magic community than necessarily Magic in and of itself. So, honestly, part of the reason I got into organizing the Magic community in the first place was because it wasn't organized. The reason I had to go to SCG to get certified was because there was no judges in the entirety of my whole area. Like, the closest judge was Boston, and they never left Boston. And that, yeah, yeah, and that's saying something, because we're in a part of, con- of the country where you know public transportation is comparatively easy. There's lots yep. of ways to get in and out of cities, get from one city to the to another part of the city. You know, there are parts of the country, like, in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, how do you become a judge when your nearest, you know, L2 well, is 1,500 miles away? Nowadays, Skype and Discord, but back right. then it was Mostly a real Skype, the superior program, right? <laughs> you shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me get Discord as our new server. <laughs> I think you guys should have a Discord server. Why not? All right. Yeah, um, yeah but it, it, you know, it was a thing to go get certified and come back. And after I got promoted to level two, I was able to promote more judges in the area. And nowadays, I mean, you guys probably have more of experience than me. Almost every single local game store has a judge. Yeah. And uh, not that I'm taking credit for it, but I did certify 23 judges at stores that didn't have them. Holy so God. yeah. <laughs> you definitely can take, a, I, I would think a little credit for that. That's, that's quite an accomplishment because having a judge like is, is so critical to, I think to the success of a game store, being able to just have someone there who's there, like, especially if it's well, not someone who's just filling in someone who's like you invested. Your, you yeah, here, your, I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, but no, no, it's fine. The um, people at, there's always somebody who's acting as a judge. No matter what, there's always the rules guy. There's always the the friend that is more experienced. There's always somebody acting like a judge. What I think is important is the fact that you have to take that person, train them a little bit, and connect them to a network of other people mm-hmm. who also uh, want to be involved in judging. That's, like, the most important part, to me anyways. Not, mm-hmm. not like, that fact that they're official or whatever. The fact that they're connected to the network of, of, of other people. Yeah. Well, I, I just think it's so important to have, like you said, someone who's plugged into, like, yes, a network of other people, like other judges, and, like, also, like, like you know, your local community. That's so important, I think. Um, like, Nate is, is a great example. Someone who is the judge every single week up at That's Entertainment in Worcester, and someone who I get to know, and, like, when I come into that store, he knows who I am. I think that's, like, it's part of just having good customer services as a store. I think it builds a great community, and it builds a lot of, I think, trust between judges and players. And, it, I don't know, it makes for a great place to go to, you know? Oh, absolutely, and uh, I'll definitely let Nate 
No, you said that, assuming he doesn't listen. <laughs> I don't, I don't no, think he listens. No, he says sometimes he listens to us to fall asleep because my, my dulcet oh, tones are so soothing. So, so dreamy. No, this is an actual quote. <laughs> no, but I, I do sincerely mean that. You, you know, one of the I, I just think that judges play such a an important role in the in the community, uh, especially for Legacy, where like uh, you have very much like players who are stalwart players, players who have been playing for a long time, and just having someone else at the store who's there and is consistently there to welcome new people coming into the format and just providing a, you know, ensuring that there's a safe, welcoming environment, I think is so, it's just, it's so critical, I think, to a game store. I think a game store is well served by having a judge there at all times. Absolutely. Most importantly, the judge is someone you get to talk to when you get that buy and everyone else is playing. (laughs) (laughs) The good old, the good old, uh, the judge round where I get to harass the person for getting lucky. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unless it's a round round three buy, then then not so much. I I heard a round four buy not that long ago. That wasn't very fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's called the go home buy. Yeah. No, I was like, oh, I wanted to have dinner with you guys, so I hung around. And uh, played the final round and lost also, so it was like it wasn't wasn't a good day for me. But uh... you know, it's one of the best things I've ever seen. Talking about customer service, uh, you know how in GP is like in the later rounds when everyone's dead. There's like half the people. It's like their first GP. You know, all sitting near each other with no opponents. Mm-hmm. I saw a judge go over, whip open a trivia app, and straight up run magic trivia for like those five or six people. Oh, that's awesome! The entire oh, that was sick. Yeah, <laughs> that is but, really cool. Yeah, um, I I feel um, so. I might be getting ahead of myself here, but I'm wondering also about the little things that uh you know pet peeves of judges. And I wonder if some judges do you ever get annoyed uh, when you're trying to run a tournament, you're trying to make it run on time, trying to make it be efficient, and some people in the uh, X and 18 bracket are playing the high tide mirror and they're 20 minutes over <laughs> over round. So if you want to know about Judge Pet Peeves, I am willing to tell you mine anyways. <laughs> so my number one concern with the tournament is making sure it ends on time. It ends fast, as fast as possible. Like I, I come in and I'm like, I'm here to run a great tournament and I'm also here to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anything you do as a player, whether it be uh, you know, create a situation that causes me to like have to launch an investigation because you might have cheated or whatever, or like you're playing so egregiously slow that I have to like claw my eyes out when I'm looking at you. <laughs> like, if you do any of those things, you're not going to be my friend. And <laughs> the reason you're not going to be my friend isn't because like you're personally slighting me, it's because you're not respecting the other 55 people in this event. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody wants to go home faster. You know, everybody wants their rounds to turn over so they can play more magic. Uh, uh, so, so quick, quick, uh, like, happy or sad, I want to feedback on this. How did you feel about the top ban <laughs> in light of that? Oh, it was great. Okay, great. Awesome. You kidding me? One of the first, <laughs> one of the first, uh, you yeah, stupid it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, it would, just, it, would, it would be funny to hear him be like, oh, I was really sad Top got banned. Like, imagine if he was like a, a Miracles player at heart. <laughs> oh, the, um, so the trick is this, right? I am actually of the opinion that players who are competent playing Miracles are not going to slow play with Top um, at all. I think they're going to play at a reasonable pace. They're going to Top when they need to. They're not going to when they don't need to. The issue isn't them. So, Pat, if you were a Miracles player and you played it competently, I am sorry. This isn't for you. <laughs> This is for those hundreds of players who just sat down the deck with probably the first time and were like, 
end step top, forget the order, upkeep top. Uh, <laughs> like Top one is, more time. <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever. Like, this is for them. This is this is this band made them not able to do what they were doing. Um, and it's it's it was it's been great for tournaments. Like legacy tournaments after Top got banned, which maybe this was because of Top. Maybe this was because of banning the currently only uh, meted and tested control deck. But for like three months, Legacy just like hit the gas pedal, right? Mm-hmm. You guys remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like... remember going to tournaments and we getting done <laughs> with like five rounds in four hours. And I was just like, how how did this happen? <laughs> yeah. Like for three months after Top got banned, people were just like, well, time to play Storm and, you know, Red Black Reanimator or whatever the fuck can go faster than Sorry for swearing. Whatever, whatever <laughs> can go faster than that. Like, let's go. Uh, and it was great. Uh, I mean, maybe not so great for people who like, you know, refined and diverse meadows, but it was great for me. <laughs> I love starting an event at 12 and being home by 3.30. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I think Top was a great band. Um, it needed to happen, and there are other versions of Control. We see them popping up now, and they're pr- completely viable. Yeah, I definitely think Legacy's in a healthy environment. Uh, you know, I, I've i played in an event uh, pretty much every week for the last four weeks, and there's barely been some any overlap in decks, like, from week to week, let alone, you know, within a tournament, I play against six, seven unique decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then week to week, I'm barely playing any repeats. Everything's new and fresh, and I love it. Yeah, I think it's especially true in paper. It's not necessarily as true online, uh, but the paper metagame, I think, is just such a good spot right now. I really love it. Oh, it's it's completely great. Like, I and, have... oh no, I was just gonna say, and we have so many events to actually play in now. I feel, uh, at least in uh, New England, at least that there's just been a plethora of events lately. I feel like there's a major regional tournament almost every weekend for like the last three months. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, so like, aside from Eternal Extravaganza in in, uh, in Pennsylvania and Eternal Weekend, locally we have three TOs who are pretty committed to making Legacy happen. You know, we have uh, Michelle Cove, who you guys all go to all of her events. Uh, she runs the monthly 1Ks of gaming, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Souza, the owner of Scholars, who uh, has been running monthlies recently and is running a quarterly later in October. Um, the prizes for that are going to be insane, but not determined. Uh, we're looking at anything from uh, a tabernacle guaranteed to first to a couple of other prizes. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's... That's, That's the first it. time we've uh, announced that publicly, so hopefully. <laughs> Ooh, I'm excited for that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know you have TJ Collectibles, who's been running the uh, Legacy Challenges each of their Titanium Plus weekends, and will continue to do so. Mm, for that's, the uh, Tom Shea, right? Yes, that's Tom Shea. Uh, those events have actually been pretty successful. Uh, the biggest part is uh, players like watching Legacy. Like modern is is cool, standard is exciting, depending on the format. But players have always liked watching Legacy. It's a uh, we get more followers, likes, re- reshares, w- views on on our Twitch and YouTube channels on the Legacy videos than we do in any other format. Wow, yeah, I mean that's awesome. I just feel Legacy is some of the most interactive magic, and it just has this draw that other formats don't have. You know, maybe being a little bit you know rare and collectible is a good thing because it, it gives it that nice little shine that draws people to the streams. The power level is higher too. Yeah, Which, exactly. Uh, people, people hate variants when it's happening to them, but love watching it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes excellent drama. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, also, thing because uh, Eric with Wormwood, he also does a lot as far as streaming too. He does. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it. It wasn't at this last one, but he usually streams the Scholars events. Yep. Uh, Eric Eric uh, created uh, the brand Brainstorm MTG and has been doing uh, great work for Scholars. Uh, they're a bit more of a a starting uh, a startup than uh you know than a couple of other companies, but. They've been producing some high-quality content every Wednesday, and for uh, most of Scholars' monthlies and quarterlies, they've they've been producing legacy content. Yeah, that's awesome. The more the more legacy we can watch, the better. Um, exactly. Because yeah, because also the TJ's uh, uh, Titanium series that's also streamed. Uh, we gotta get we gotta get on Michelle to start streaming her events. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it's it's not that difficult. Like. You need a camera, you need a computer, and that's about it. So yeah. anytime Meg, uh, Michelle wants to do it, she could absolutely, you know, I, I would provide feedback to her. Uh, I'm sure Eric would. I know they're friends. Yeah. Whatever whatever she would want. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I get the sense of, that, um, you know, some people think of that all these TOs are all competitors with one another, that it's a cutthroat industry. But I find a lot of TOs and, you know, stores work together and, uh, you know, combine resources for the betterment of everyone. Uh, well, that's the way, yes. So in there are cases where that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also cases where that's not true. Um, we've had a one of the luxuries for players in New England is we do have a high concentration of stores, and that has caused a bit of healthy competition mm-hmm. um, and a bit of unhealthy competition over the years. Um, but, you know, any of the more successful stores, Michelle Cove, Kyle, TJ's, you know, they're willing to work with anybody. As long as you're reasonable about it, they're willing to work with you. I have a, a, sh- um, a spreadsheet that I share with some TOs about when every single event is. I don't, you know, it's not, you can't schedule on a day somebody else schedule on. You can certainly still schedule on that day, but at least you know, you know, yeah. like you, you know what's happening. And Just to uh, let you know, some people are going to be going to this event instead of yours. <laughs> yeah. So if there's a better day for it, you can work with each other. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of productive, uh, productive things happen through that spreadsheet. Right. Cause the last thing you want is for TOs to undercut each other. You know, we see so many, in so many places, Stores will try and get a legacy scene going, and three stores all decide to host a legacy event on Friday night, and each store gets five people. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, there's no interest. But if yeah. they would just, you know, would organize, uh, you know, they would get 15 people on Friday night, and then another store could do Saturday night. Uh, and and you know, I'm you- glad you mentioned that, because a lot of stores try to do this, like, incentive thing where they basically pseudo-bribe players to come to their event over other events, and that only works in the short term. Uh, players at weekly events, the the number one thing they want to see, and you guys can either agree or disagree on this, is they want to see other players. They want to see a healthy meta. They want to see prizes have to be there because you know we're paying an entry fee and we expect a a value out of that. But there, you go to an event, especially a weekly that doesn't have a very high entry fee. You don't go to it because you want to like get the best value. You go to it because you want to play magic. Mm-hmm. And like playing magic with the same four people every week is not the most fun. Yeah, the way I look at it is it's like playing poker with 10 cent buy-ins. You know, <laughs> I'm not playing for the pot, I'm not p- playing for the prizes. I just want like that metaphorical thing on the line that makes me play to win, that I'm not yep. just making, you know, goofy lines of play that I think are funny like I would at uh, at the kitchen table. <laughs> so, 
it's not even that you know the the prize support is there it's it's just you know you just need kind of that psychological incentive too absolutely yeah i mean i mean are you sure jerry i don't know <laughs> are you sure that you make the don't make the whimsical like Yellow oh. lines at events. I think I've seen you done. I've seen. You. <laughs> I mean, I've been known to set fifty dollar bills on fire. I have. I mean, I have done that at events. Just. I'm not saying anything, but I've definitely walked. <laughs> I definitely walked by your your match once. And just like had to walk away. <laughs> <laughs> was that the the match where Sin Prater was re- uh, revealed uh, the Gear Hulk? <laughs> wow, maybe. But that sounds like a standard deck. Yeah. No, don't worry. It was Legacy. Sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it yeah definitely just kind of organizing with people. I know you do a lot of work as far as uh, you know, just making sure that there isn't any overlap that people can you know not only go to Legacy frequently but not have to make the tough choices. Yeah. Sometimes there's, there's, I mean, all luckily the TOs who run Legacy have pretty much they're on the same page with making sure that there is no overlaps anymore. Uh, I know, Jerry, you had mentioned to me uh, a conflict a few months ago, and we tried to resolve it, couldn't get all the way there. But we're, we're, we're trying to be more open and organized with each other so that that doesn't happen again. Yeah, and I mean, it's not life isn't perfect. It's just not going to work out sometimes. Like the, the situation you're mentioning, it was something like, uh, every weekend for a month where it was just a bad weekend. Either there was like a <laughs> PPTQ going on or there was a Star City Games in, you know, within driving distance. And it was just like, it's basically have this overlap now or not have the tournament at all. Yep. And, you know, sometimes you just got to make those hard choices. At the end of the day, they are a business. And, you know, while being friendly to other businesses causes, you know, uh, a lot of goodwill and stuff, you're, you're in business for yourself. So... It's, right. If it's between running an event and not running it because somebody else is running an event, you're probably still going to run it. Exactly. Can, can I and ask it's, you a question? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go no ahead. I'm done. Oh, I was just going to ask, like, so we've had some, um, like, GPs and other events that have come on, like, landed on, like, major holidays. Like, either they're Opens or GPs. Oh, you or... mean every Legacy Star City Games event? Well, yeah, like, they're falling on, like, <laughs> like you know, I mean, it's not a Easter. major holiday. Easter. Like, yeah, they fall on Easter or Father's Day or Halloween, like... Do those kind of holidays play into the mind of a TO? Like, as you know, I'm a dad. I have two young kids. Like, Jerry, I mean, Jerry has really no no, no obligations to anybody in this world. But I enjoy the spirit <laughs> and the joy on children's faces. And, you know, I wouldn't miss that for the world. <laughs> but, like, do, do those events kind of play into, like, a TO's mind? Or, like, are they given... I don't know how much you, you can speak to All this, right, but I are can. they given, like, specific dates that they have to run events? So I'm glad you actually brought this up, because this is a topic that not a lot of Magic players uh, would know about, and I'm glad to to, enlighten, to talk about it. Uh, so, specifically for GPs, uh, I don't know exactly the relationship for next year, because it's Channel Fireball, but in the past, um, in the past, uh, Wizards goes to you and says, these are the three events we want you to run. They usually tell you a city or a, like rough geo-region like in Colorado or in whatever, pick a city. Uh, you know, they usually tell you that and they tell you this weekend because, you know, you, they run 50 or 50. Last year they ran 45 of them. This year they're running more. And that's every weekend of the year, and they don't want them to be overlapped by that much. Sure. Especially when coverage was every weekend. They really didn't want that to happen because you can't have coverage in two locations. So, like, they tell you when the events run. So, like, a few years ago when GP Providence was uh on game day and this year it's actually on release weekend i'm not sure if you noticed that yet yeah, yeah. um the to uh pastimes this year and tj's last year 
has absolutely no control over when the event is scheduled. Mm-hmm. They are told, you know, they they're told to go to their go to their convention centers, which there's only certain convention centers that can even hold a GP. Like they're very limited. <laughs> they need to. There has to be a showroom that can hold at least three thousand five hundred people or more. Um, they have to go to them and say, "What weekends do you have?" They ship those those dates to Wizards, and Wizards says, "This is when your event is." Gotcha. <laughs> uh, for SCG, um, SCG plays a game where they're a large regional or a large, you know, a large tournament series, mm-hmm. but they don't really want to butt heads with that many GPs, mm-hmm. which sometimes leaves them with worse dates. Gotcha. Dates you mentioned, like SE, like uh, Easter or. You know, some other minor oh, holiday, Father's not saying, Day, Father's Day, stuff like that. Like no, they, tell they end up. Minor. Tell, tell him he's minor. Do it. it I mean, it's it's better Do to it. have t- tell Tom he's minor. No, <laughs> no, tell do, Pat. Pat, yeah, Pat. <laughs> Pat, you're minor. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't care yeah, about, about Father's Day. That's fair. Got him. <laughs> Actually, I wonder what would be. Anyways, that's for no. So. Like they they are forced or not forced they they make the decision to schedule on worse weekends because it's overall better for their tournament because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. when it comes to losing 400 players to a GP 300 miles away or losing a hundred to people who want to do whatever minor holidays going on mm-hmm. they're just gonna choose the hundred. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. It's like a, just a numbers game for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so basically, you know, there's 52 weeks in the year and GPs are already taking up you know 45 to 50 weeks. There's yeah, only, only 24 left. in the United States. <laughs> but you have to think, like, 24 in the United States, plus there's a couple of, like, blackout weekends, plus there's four pre-releases, you know what I'm saying? Like, actually, there's more than four pre-releases nowadays because of all the extra sets. Um, they're not actually pre-releases, they're just releases. Um, there's a lot of weekends, you just can't run Magic tournaments. And it's it's a really... Scheduling a big event is, is uh, not, you know... Uh, I know a lot of people uh, a few years ago of GB Providence felt kind of slighted because they thought TOs were making the decision on purpose mm-hmm. to like block local stores from having a game day or a release this weekend. That's just not the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the event is the weekend it is because that's what they were told. <laughs> right. People don't look at the big picture. All they see is their immediate yeah. surroundings. All, all, yeah. All they see is that, you know, this is affecting me now. So this is the, you know, the person running this is the person who's affecting me. And um, it's not the case. Overall, uh, locally, as far as organization is concerned, uh, for Legacy, the TOs have pretty much committed to not competing with each other on the same weekend. Mm -hmm. For other formats, there's just so much going on that each TO just does, to the best of their ability, pick the best weekend possible. And that's one of the things that that I I help them with. Uh, One of of the things I'm, I'm decent at. I also think like that the player base for the other formats is bigger, so there's more to go around. Whereas for Legacy, like it's still it's obviously popular enough that it can it, it, it warrants having GPs and it opens and stuff uh, on its own. But you have to be careful because again, like there's enough to, to run those events, but I feel like the player base isn't big enough so that you can run multiple on the same week. Absolutely, and there's also player burnout to consider. Sure. Like you don't want to have too many big events right near each other because you know you said you're you're a father, Pat. Like how many weekends can you be away from your kids? Yeah, like <laughs> like negative negative weekends. So yeah, oh. like I mean for uh, just for Vegas, I had to take the red eye in on Sunday so I could make it make it home for Father's Day. So I didn't miss Father's Day with my kids, you know. Um, yeah. yeah so let's like, so when I'm considering running a bigger event for scholars, for example, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't put it against a you know a GP Vegas type event or whatever mm-hmm. because I know when it comes down to it, the player is going to want to go to the more exciting event. 
and they're going to choose that event this month or whatever, and they're going to go to that, which is totally fine and completely reasonable. We just need to be smarter about the way we do things. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Pick your battles. Awesome. Uh, what do we got yet? Oh, um, so we kind of got into a bit about, you know, organizing tournaments. Uh, you know, what's it like? Can you just kind of go over, say someone is trying, you know, maybe they're a store getting started out. Uh, they've done their weekly events, but now they want to kind of do something special. What, what are some tips you would give to someone looking to, you know, make it to the next level to go from hosting FNM sized events, to you know, hosting a more regional sized event? Well, the easiest way, certainly, uh, is to get what's called Wizards Play Network Advanced uh, and to run a preliminary Pro Tour qualifier. Uh, the good part about these tournaments is they, they support themselves. So, like, at the very minimum, there will be a select amount of competitive players who want to come to any PPTQ that exists. Um, the way you, you run a PPTQ is after you get advanced, you can sanction and schedule it through your Wizards Event Reporter. Uh, when you sanction and schedule it, a, a, a big flashing reminder comes up and says, you need a level two magic judge. If you don't, your event won't happen. Uh, <laughs> and then a surprising number of people just go, okay, and don't have a judge. That's the first mistake they make. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not getting judges, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, a great way to, to get a judge is to either, uh, there's a contact the RC forum, uh, you can, and if you're in my area, uh, because I'm the area representative for uh, Rhode Island and Southeast Mass, you can contact me. Uh, there's also a whole list of experienced judges on the judge uh, website, which uh, I guess I'll provide the link to you guys later, uh, for TOs to contact them. Uh, a lot of them, they're all professionals, very experienced, and can handle whatever you need, um, or get somebody who can. Uh, all right. So once you've talked to your judge, the judge will give you a bunch of instructions about how to run an event. They've run, you know, every single level two magic judge has run countless numbers of mid-sized events, and they're, they're your best resource as far as organizing it. You want to go ahead and create a Facebook page, do a little bit of sharing to some of the Facebook, uh, larger Facebook groups like doing a magic calendar. If you're running a legacy event, drop it and leaving a legacy. Uh, a couple of other things. You know, uh, make sure that you have a, a good prize pool and entry fee. Uh, and for PPTQs, the players will just show up, luckily. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> no, no, it's it's true. So uh, for other events, like uh, legacy events, modern events, independent series, uh, getting a player base to sort of buy into the series is very difficult. Oh, for yeah. PPTQs, people are invested in the Pro Tour. So, uh, you know, I see it a lot where some TOs who haven't run PPTQs or haven't run mid-sized events will try to run a mid-sized event, and they'll end up betting too much of the pot on it. Like, they, they bet too much money. Like, they have too much of a committed prize pool because they think the players will just come, and they get burned. And I, I don't like stores getting burned um, that much. I would rather see them have a pretty solid event where they make some money uh, with solid ways to improve their 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 future events. Yeah, and that's just I the feel, best way. Yeah, I feel especially with the older formats, uh, legacy, uh, definitely vintage. It's all it's all word of mouth. You know, these yep. formats have invested players who have been around for years and have connections with each other. Um, you know, where standard it might just be someone new to the format or you know recently new. They don't have those same connections, so. The best way with a legacy tournament to get it to happen to get that turnout is make sure the you know kind of central hubs of the community know about it and they'll spread the word. Yep, and you're you're absolutely right as far as that's concerned. Uh, 
getting legacy players and getting even modern players is extremely difficult. Uh, the best way to do it is to make sure is to be consistent mm-hmm. and to make sure that players are having a good time because you know you're never going to show up again if you have a bad time and all of your friends aren't either and that's never that's never the goal. <laughs> so yeah. Can you tell me some of the things you've seen, uh, like TOs do to make sure players are having a good time? Like, be it like, like that trivia thing you had mentioned earlier, or just things that you've seen like judges or TOs do to to ensure that people are enjoying themselves. Absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, uh, players, uh, rather than gimmicky things, I'm going to start with what players want. I mean, you guys are both players, you understand. Players want a a welcoming environment to a store, whether that be you know welcoming to them being a minority or welcoming to them having any sort of orientation or whatever. That's the most important thing. They want to go to a store, walk in where they feel welcome and safe. Uh, going to a, a store, they want it to be clean. They want to have you know the availability to go to the bathroom and not not be disgusted. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. That's, Pat, Pat nearly got on his knees in front of Michelle when he finally met her. He's just like, no. your bathrooms are the cleanest of any event I've ever just, been it, to. It just means a lot because I know like it means it's a better environment. Like as a guy, like a dirty bathroom is not a huge deal. But I know, like, for a fact, you hear from a lot of, women, of female players, like, it's a problem for them. Like, dirty bathrooms yeah. are a problem. And, like, I love the fact that, like, again, not a big deal for me because I can stand up most times after the bathroom. But, like, I know that it, it's creating a welcome, welcoming environment for someone who's not me. And that makes now, me really happy. Now, Pat, I feel everyone has been there when, after round five, that breakfast burrito isn't sitting well with them. And, you know, everyone's had that experience. <laughs> well, yeah, oh, for sure. God. <laughs> Actually, can I tell a real quick story? <laughs> Jerry, does it have to do with a BM? Does it have to do with a burrito? I'm pretty sure. Uh, so uh, our friend Dan, Pox player Dan, been on the cast a couple times, uh, was at SCG Games with us. And after about like round three, uh, he felt a little rumbling in his stomach, so he decided to go to the men's room. And he goes into a stall, and he's sitting down, and he's doing his business, when all of a sudden, a uh, person bursts into the bathroom, basically just, like, clutching their butt cheeks, <laughs> screaming that I need to go, I need to go, and kicks open his store door, his, store, his bathroom store door. <laughs> and Dan looks up and just goes, I'm not going to say the name, we're just like, you're blank, Pro Tour player. <laughs> Life on the road is hard, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yes, yes. Uh, clean bathrooms are important. And, you know, it's situations like that, how they get dirty. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, making, uh, making sure the tournament starts on time and ends faster. Uh, making sure that the prizes are there for players. All right. So that's the general stuff, right? Like, you want to go to a good tournament specifics uh judges who aren't this just there to judge judges who are there to you know uh, shoot the shit with players to make sure everyone uh judges who you know make sure that whenever they talk to somebody that they're not talking as like an authority figure if it's not necessary mm-hmm. like they're trying to be the you know not so much in a mentorship role but in a friendly informative role uh specifics i had mentioned the uh the judge, the judge trivia for players who did not have an opponent that uh, that a specific judge named Nicolette did. That was absolutely amazing. Uh, TOs, uh, TOs who take feedback very well. I know a lot of players, Jerry. Uh, you've you've done this in the past. You know, you go to a lot of tournaments and you kind of know what you want. You kind of know what your friends want. And TOs who are willing to listen to what you say and make improvements based on that. 
that that has to be the most important thing to you guys. Um, Specific listen, things. Go ahead. L- listen to me complain. <laughs> <laughs> Hear any, me. Any, any, any day, Jerry. Uh, did, uh, speaking, speaking of, did, uh, <laughs> did Kyle uh, mention what happened at the last Scholars event? <laughs> no, and this is the first time I'm hearing about it, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so we all sit down, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to the Scholars uh, you know, monthly legacy tournament. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to see everyone, and I sit down. And Kyle comes over in his judge shirt. And Kyle's awesome. I love Kyle. Kyle's a great guy. But I'm just like, Kyle, you're not Gil. Where's Gil? <laughs> <laughs> and, like, Jay Richardson and Josh Sissio and Brent were sitting around me. And just, like, I didn't mean in any disrespect to Kyle. I was just honestly wondering where you were. <laughs> but Josh just looks at me and goes, Jerry, that's cold. <laughs> and just with the rest of the rest of the tournament, it was just little things like like Kyle would hand out the matchlets. And Jason, Jay, Jay would pick it up and would just go, uh, Kyle cuts these more square. <laughs> You know, he's actually right. <laughs> I I um I don't touch match slips at events because I've been yelled at by many a GP scorekeeper to straighten my shit out. <laughs> uh, so sorry to interrupt, but yeah, just that just reminded me just interacting with uh with the TOs and the judges. <laughs> that's that's actually great. <laughs> you just like straight up stab him straight. <laughs> No disrespect. Like the the poor the poor guy was like <laughs> judging like a competitive tournament where he was just like I don't know man. You're not Gil. How can I trust anything you say? Well, you totally can. He's Kyle's. No, Kyle's great. Kyle's great. It just it it just spot it just snowballed into its own meme by the end of the day. <laughs> All right. Uh, where were we, Pat? Uh, we were just talking about judge stuff, like uh, things that t- like tournament order, tournaments organizers can do to make the, an event more enjoyable for players. Like I think quick round turnover, like a clean facility, you know, I think all those things are important. So, uh, do you guys want to talk about some of the things that I've seen TOs do wrong? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give all us right. the dirt. <laughs> all right. So here's the, here's the first thing that I see TOs do wrong every single time. They have an event, they don't share it or advertise it with anybody, and they guarantee a lot of prizes. Mm-hmm. Right. So this this event is uh, where the EV sharks go to work because there are you know 20 people in an event that gives out you know two thousand dollars of prizes and it's never good. Um, it's that TO is no longer going to run events and those players while they get a a minor amount of value from the event, I don't feel like it's a, it's a successful tournament for, even for them. Mm-hmm. Like money only goes so far in this community. Mm-hmm. Those are the most frustrating for me when I see them happen because it's it's pretty obvious when they happen. You go to an event where they're guaranteeing a playset of underground seas for first place and ten people are there. Yeah, um, is it just it just feels so bad because it, it it's just like how do you how do you do these things like and then these these tournament organizers turn around and go oh well clearly uh, the legacy players aren't here. I have great prizes and no one showed up, so clearly there just aren't any legacy players at all. Legacy is dead, and it just becomes this like perpetuated rumor. Uh, you know, giving ammo to these people saying that the format is dying when the opposite is true. You know, we've seen it's almost like a renaissance in Legacy right now. We're going to a regional event every weekend. There's people <laughs> like Mad Legacy five times a week. But you get these horror stories. It's not dead, but the community is concentrated and it doesn't have a lot of turnover. So it, by my best estimation, there is about 150 leg- active legacy players in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, for that matter. Um, that's my best estimation is the people between everyone who goes to the monthly events, everyone who 
plays on any sort of regular basis competitively. Uh, my, my best estimation is about 150. Do you guys think it's bigger or smaller? What are your experiences? I, I'm just thinking, because I go to pretty much all the regional events. I've been to most uh, stores. Uh, you know, There's some in you know, southern Massachusetts and western Massachusetts that I haven't been to. Uh, a couple up north, but for the most part, even with the overlap, I feel just meeting uh, of all the players, just the faces that I recognize at events, I would say it's probably, you know, 150, 200. I think it's a little more than 150, but I would say you're you're pretty right in the area with that. Okay. All right, so other biggest TO mistakes, GPs. We're talking the first GP Vegas. Do you guys remember that? Modern Masters GP. <laughs> Everyone's excited to go. Like, it's the big whatever. Well, it almost <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> and the reason the reason it almost didn't happen is uh, this might be a Watsy mistake more than a more than a you know TO mistake. Uh, Watsy shipped the uh, all of the product, so all of like the ten or twelve pallets of Modern Masters product to the wrong airport and state. Um, <laughs> Wait, in the wrong I knew it was the wrong airport, but the wrong state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'll have to remember the specifics later. Um, so yeah, the the day you know they shipped it to the straight up the wrong state, and they had to hire a rent a private airplane a private cargo or whatever airplane to overnight the 12 pallets of product to vegas and i i don't i don't know what it costs to rent a private airplane that can ship that much product but i'd imagine it's not cheap well i mean how that's that's got a you said what six pallets the 12 12 12 pallets yeah you're not putting that on like a cessna like a cheap like (laughs) a lot of ubers jerry well, I'm, try, I'm trying to convert boxes of magic into kilos, you know, just from my old, yeah. <laughs> my old aviation I days. <laughs> I don't know how many bo- uh, cases the Modern Masters pallets had, but I know the um, the regular pallets have 256 boxes, I believe. Uh, it's a lot. It's just a lot. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's 12 by 4, which is 48 times 6. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of product, and it's very heavy. And that's, they—that's a little over three thousand boxes of magic cards. Yeah. Well, so the the mono masters were shipped in cases of four, but yeah, like straight up just didn't even have the product. It's the the judges were there that day to like prep product because remember how they're doing a lot of pre registration and whatever. Oh, and yeah, sleep prepping those kids. Yeah, and uh, they were just like. You guys just can go home now because we don't have our products. <laughs> <laughs> if you could show up at three uh, thirty in the morning when this arrives, so we can well, prep it. <laughs> in all fairness, that was a Thursday to Sunday GP, and they didn't have the product until Thursday. So like the main event or whatever didn't happen. I remember correctly until Friday. Whatever they had, they had it. They had enough time, but the day they were supposed to prep it, they weren't able to, which led to staffing problems on the first day of the GP. Damn. And, you know, these big events, these GPs you go to, uh, they might seem clean to you sometimes, but they're actually just, like, giant machines mm-hmm. of just, you know, man hours and different people doing different things to make it go well. You know, Magic's kind of figured it out. We figured out how to run a 2,000-person event cleanly mm-hmm. with no issues. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's due to, you know, a lot of uh, the people who helped me become a judge and the people who are still helping me you know, become a better judge. Do you think that we've had this discussion in the cast before about like the quote unquote sweet spot for a like like a local event, not something like as large as an open even, but what do you think is like the attendance cap? Not necessarily attendance cap, but like what you should be shooting for to have a really nice like local event with decent prize support, 
<clears throat> and like you know enough enough people to make it four or five six rounds, but not so many where you're playing nine rounds and then cutting to top eight kind of thing. Oh, I, I think it's actually simple, and it has to do with uh, how we like spending our weekend days. Uh, so for a weekend day, let's say it's Saturday, right? Um, I personally like doing a day activity and a night activity. Mm-hmm. So the goal of a tournament is to encompass my entire day, but still give me enough time to go out to dinner with my parents, to go out to a club, to do whatever I need to do. Um, and that number, actually, I believe, is seven rounds max. So you figure you have a tournament that starts at 10 o'clock. And by seven rounds max, what I mean, uh, well, ideally six rounds, actually. What I mean is 63 players. So for... Six rounds, we have a top eight, which is three more rounds. So that's a total of nine rounds. It's nine hours. Uh, and then we have a player waiting. It's like 10 or 15 minutes. So if I get up at 10 a.m. to go to a tournament, I'm home by 7 o'clock. And I believe that 64th player that adds the seventh round is makes it less comfortable. And I don't know if you guys have different experiences, but... No, no I, I agree. Feel- I think that's. I think six rounds is like the perfect... That, that's my personal opinion as well, is that like that's, the, that's kind of the sweet spot for a tournament. Yeah, definitely. Because last thing I want to do is get out of an event hall at 11 o'clock at night and every restaurant is closed and we're ending up going to Burger King because it's the only thing open for dinner. Well, so we all know Jerry can't cook for himself because I've seen it. I've seen his kitchen. And, uh... <laughs> I have a wonderful kitchen that I am an excellent cook in. Yeah. I made lamb chops today. Thank you very much. Uh, nice. If you did. Yeah. I love lamb chops. They're so good. But like... I, I feel like a lot of tournaments, especially like larger ones at GPs, right? Like we have nine rounds and each round at a GP is 75 minutes. And then you just go out of the venue hall, like whatever o'clock and you're just like lumping into like, you know, whatever IHOP or whatever the hell is still open. Just yeah. you're, you're, you're personally wiped and it's less fun of an experience to me than, you know, oh, we got out of the event at six. We're all going to go to, you know, whatever TGI Fridays and we're going to, you know, have a great dinner. The person who won has to buy because he's a lucky son of a bitch. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, just having time to just enjoy it afterwards. I feel the after-tournament dinner is super important. And then, especially, you get on an event at 6, you have dinner, you finish dinner at 8, and then you can still do something afterwards. You, know, you can go to a bar with friends, you can watch a movie, you can you know hang out with significant other. Just having so, having that time is, is important. It's also important to know that the reverse is true. So the sweet spot, I think, is right around like 50 or 60 people. But by the same point, having too few people makes it for a worse experience. Mm-hmm. You know, the last thing you want to do is go to a tournament and just like have, you know, you and your four friends and four other people show up. <laughs> and right. that's not fun because like, you, you know, you play tested, you know, two or three days for this and now there's nobody here. Nothing's worse driving two hours or, you know, sometimes more to an event and then sitting down and playing your friend. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the number if I had a nickel every time I heard someone say, oh, we could have stayed home and done this. Because <laughs> everyone yeah. always gives an ironic chuckle when they look at the pairings board and see they're playing their friend. Yep. So, uh, Jerry, did you want to go into some of the questions that people had asked for me? or? Yeah, real quick, though, um, I just want to touch on it a little bit, is uh, the recent SCG changes, the announcement uh, yep. that uh, just came out. Can you well, kind it's, of not an official, it's not an official announcement. Okay, um, sorry. But, so, yeah. you know, as we all know, this is a very trying time in the United States. Uh, we have a lot of uh, very strong opinions or very, um, you know, controversial topics being brought up. Um, very vocal people. Yeah, recently some of the crew at SCG uh, has decided to take um, a stronger approach to uh, to answering some of the more hateful uh, 
hateful rhetoric that's going around. And uh, as a personal private business, uh, they have the right to refuse service to anybody. And um, I'm very happy to see them uh, use that right a little bit more. Um, you know, we we're a community, uh, especially in Massachusetts, uh, are in even overall. Like I know judges from Florida, Texas. I know a judge from North Carolina. Like we're 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 trying to be the most the most welcoming to everyone. We're trying to have a safe environment for everyone. And a lot of what's going on in America nowadays is is honestly making people not feel safe and not feel welcomed. Uh, so I'm I'm glad to see that uh, the Magic community and specifically SDG is is take is taking those uh those stronger approaches. Nice. So uh, if you want to go to a tournament and your goal isn't to play in the tournament and have fun playing Magic and your goal is to spread hateful rhetoric, I'm I'm sorry, this is not going to be an environment for you anymore. Mm-hmm. Awesome, yeah, I think I think that's important. Um, it was was it Jared Silva who made it, it was it was Jared Silva who made the the Facebook post and he is the organized play manager of SCG. Uh, and he mentioned that you know any event that he has sway over, which is every event he works. Uh, he'll be taking a stronger approach uh, towards towards dealing with uh, hateful rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I've uh, I've talked to a few judges about this too because it is hard sometimes because it's it's sometimes difficult knowing you know where where to draw the line. Um, I think an example that was given to me is um, say you're a player and uh, you have you know very realistic looking uh, tarantula sleeves on your deck. <laughs> and the person you're playing against is deathly uh, arach- uh Oh man, I'm gonna mess up. Arachnoph. Thank you. Arach- arachnophobic. <laughs> Give me a cookie. <laughs> you did a trick. <laughs> I did a trick. Is deathly afraid of spiders. Um, and you know they're they're saying that the the uh, images are offensive. You know, obviously this is a ludicrous example, but you know what? How do you approach this? You know, you want to make both players feel welcome. And I'm not saying it's always this gray. There are definitely black and white examples. But you know, where 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 do you draw the line to kind of make it um, appropriate for everyone while also protecting people? So. In this specific example, I would take the player with the tarantula sleeves aside, and, you know, obviously I've been made aware that this situation is happening, right? Mm-hmm. And I would ask him, you know, without being offensive or rude, I'd be like, hey, man, like, is there a way, like, I'd give you a time extension, we could find you other sleeves, is there a way we could have you change your sleeves? And if he doesn't want to do it, that's his right. Like, those sleeves are allowed to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, there's honestly, luckily, most magic cards are face up. Uh, not face down besides the deck. So I might figure out a way to like, uh, you know, shield the player from as, as much of, as much of what's going on as possible. Mm-hmm. But if he wants to have those sleeves and you know, that's, that's what it is. I would have to let him keep using them cause they're not offensive sleeves. You know, he, if he's purposely using these sleeves to like, you know, offend whoever he's playing against, mm-hmm. that's something completely different, but that's not what's happening here. Right. 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 And so, I don't, I think I think we're all adults. At least I hope so. I think we can all tell when something is genuinely offensive. Um, you know, I, I've seen some pretty disgusting things in in matches before, but I, for the most part, people um, you know know what's wrong, what's appropriate, and what's not appropriate. Yeah, as far as things being offensive or making people uncomfortable is concerned, we're talking like the anime girl sleeves or you know well, whatever other offensive imagery people have. 
One of the um, worst I ever saw was someone had a Lingering Souls altered to be a Sandy Hook school bus. What the fuck? Seriously? Yeah. Um, so I might not be a judge if I saw those anymore because I would actually rip them up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it, was, um, it, it lasted It lasted one round before the judge was no, sir. Yeah. That's uh, not even like... Oh, that's... Put, put them away and never, ever bring them out again. If I find out you bring them out again, you're done. Yeah. Like... That's that's completely unreasonable. Like that's disgusting. Um, yeah, but you know, as far as the anime girl school things and whatever, if it if it ever makes somebody uncomfortable and somebody comes and tells me I'm uncomfortable because this thing is happening, and it's not completely out of the realm of reason for them to be uncomfortable, I would probably ask the player to put it away or to do something about it mm-hmm. because it's it just it's easy. You know, as long as you treat whoever you're talking to that's using this item as a human. You're like, hey, man, you know, I, you know, I understand that not everybody might find this offensive or whatever, but there's there's somebody in this event that's uncomfortable because of this thing. Is there any way we could fix that? I sincerely believe most reasonable people would just be like, sure, let's do it. I don't yeah. I don't know anybody who wouldn't who would just be like wicked offended and like blatantly no sir it. Well, I I always call judges over and say I'm offended by Pat's face, and they never they never seem to do anything about it. <laughs> uh, I mean. <laughs> You know, there's uh, brown paper bags for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> JK, Pat, JK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't kidding. That's <laughs> alright. Jerry Jerry doesn't have to have to see me, because I'm always at the top tables, and he's... Uh, <laughs> oh! Oh, oh look at that dagger. Uh, no, I can't even dispute that. I had the worst magic weekend this week. <laughs> <laughs> I went I went uh one in four at the scholars event and my one win was a bye. <laughs> I mean I went I went two and four and one of my wins was a bye at uh, at the real uh, estate tour or the 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 what was it gaming etc the weekend prior. So well I a- actually it's okay because I now have empirical proof Pat that my spice is great. I play the red white uh, sneak and show deck, uh, red white blue, and I almost top eight. I play a stock from the internet list of sneak and show this week, and I get my ass kicked. Yes, yeah, because you don't know how to play it. Are you, you were playing Omni Show? Were you playing Omniscience? No, I was playing sneak and show. Oh, okay. Get those cunning wish out of here. I don't want to no know cunning wish. I thought you had. A, I thought you bought, just purchased some omniscience. Yeah, that's the stock internet list. Pretty much every sneak and show list will run two to three omniscience. Um, it's just the difference between omni show and sneak attack is cunning wish, not omniscience. Oh, I see. I, my mistake. So like even like the regular sneak attack decks will run omniscience. Yeah. Okay. Well, just because omniscience is important for winning the really hard matchups like uh, death and taxes. Like omniscience makes that a unwinnable matchup and turns it into a more fifty fifty matchup. I mean, I guess what I'm what I'm really excited about Jerry is that you really got you gathered a very very large sample size. And weren't results oriented about about the results at all, right? That's yeah. Really that you took two tournaments, said this deck is bad because I did poorly at this one. This deck is good because I did a little bit better than poorly at this one. And one one deck is obviously way better than the other. Yeah. I'm glad you recognize my scientific method. Yeah, it's flawless. Jerry's, Jerry's it's... determination to run a trash pile, splashing white into it. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> Just Best. tell me why it needs Nahiri, Jerry. It Nahiri's amazing! Oh my god, Nahiri, uh, she comes down on four, she t- ticks up to six, she's basically unkillable. And she, she draws... comes down on turn four, which is like, you need no. to be doing something on turn uh-uh. four on that deck. No, she comes down on turn two or three. She is amazing. She Jerry, gets, I'm, she, she I'm gets sorry, ri- man, but 
No. Here is um, the most useless card in the entire I, history. I saw Jerry die with two in his hand and no white sources on the Because I was wasted off of white, okay? You know, you know what Nihiri doesn't do? What? It doesn't doesn't exile the forcible, which is why Jace is good. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> No, like Jace is Jace by itself would I don't think would be played in Legacy. Like if it were, you know, whatever other color. I think uh, it, it's it's utility to be an expensive card that gets exiled is what makes it uh better. Better than just like some sort of mediocre game ender. I mean, I, if it was a green card that drew you three cards, I think I think people would run that just for. Well, there is. It's also four mana. What? Harmonize. People don't play it. You're repeatable. <laughs> Come on, don't don't give me that shit. <laughs> I've seen Harmonize be played once. Some guy was playing one or two copies in his elves deck, and then he realized that Gumpson Nature draws him ten cards. Yeah, yeah. You you heard it here first, people. Harmonize just as good as Jace, according to Gil. <laughs> No, no, no. It, I think it being yeah. blue is more very important towards Jace's power level. That's always like I feel like that's always the bump that just like brings a card right up to snuff, you know, for for a lot of <laughs> legacy cards. Yeah, being blue. Um, Good. <laughs> do we want to get into the uh, the questions? We have a good amount yeah. of questions on the page. Yeah, we got questions. Let's get into them. Awesome. Uh, all right. So Tom Smiley asks. Uh, well, we kind of already talked about this, but uh, how did you get into judging, and what is the best way for someone who wants to judge? Oh, I'm sorry, who wants a judge to begin the process? So uh, I already did answer the first half of Smiley's question, but we'll get to the second. Okay. Um, now, if anybody wants to become a judge, uh, all they have to do is get in contact with either myself or any level two judge. Um, and that judge will walk them through whatever process it is to get certified. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you guys want to know those those generalized things that you have to do, uh, this is what they are. The, the requirements for level one judge is you have to judge two events. What this means is you've probably already done it. You've been the person to answer rules questions at your local FNM for two weeks in a row. Whoa, right? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I can commit to that. Great. Then you, that's, that, you know, that's why you're not a judge. <laughs> uh, beyond that, uh, you have to uh, get a recommendation review uh, from an interview with a level two judge, and you have to take the exam. Uh, the level one judge exam is uh, relatively, uh, you know, it, it, it lines up with judging local events, judging regular rules enforcement events. It'll have questions about, uh, you know, how magic works on a fundamental level. So most competitive players would have no issue with the exam, in my experience. Um, beyond that, you have to agree to, uh, you know, the code of conduct for judges, which basically means you can't abuse things that you're given because, you know, uh, being a being a judge is being put in a position of trust, and you're expected to not abuse abuse that power, um, and you have to you have to agree to that. But after all that's done, you know, you get certified, you become a judge, and uh, you get connected to a network of honestly, I've never seen. There's so many people in the judge community uh, who, like the average quality person in the judge community, I've experienced has been very very high. Uh, they're all very honest, talented individuals who I've made friends, you know. All across the country with them, across the board. There's always exceptions, but you know. Uh, so yeah, uh, thanks, Smiley, for that question. Awesome. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, oh, go ahead, uh, go ahead, Andrew. No, no, after you, after you. No, okay, good. Um, Alex, Alex did ask a question. It was sort of already answered, but I'll just run down <laughs> so, so people know. He, it was more of a question for Jerry and I, I guess, but he did say last week when we were talking about tests, um, there was talk about surgical extraction targets. We, we were sort of talking about what are worthwhile surgical extraction targets, um, and one of the popular ones against uh, the Epic Storm was Burning Witch, 
and he was under the impression that Burning Wish couldn't be hit by a surgical as it exiles itself as it resolves. Um, but Jerry, you did you did make a comment, and I think Tom also did as well that generally you're looking to surgical it after it's been discarded or countered, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's not like um, the Emrakul trick where um, you know some cards will go to the graveyard and Gil, tell me if I'm just mangling this, but. Some guards will go to the uh, graveyard briefly before exiling themselves or reshuffling into the library, and that gives you a small window to surgical it. Yeah, that would be uh, any triggered ability. Specifically with Emrakul, it says, when Emrakul is put into a graveyard, trigger. Shuffle all cards from your graveyard into your library. Mm-hmm. And because there's a trigger, and triggers have to be responded to by both players, before they resolve, you're able to respond. Um, however, with Burning Wish, if it does resolve, it says Exile Burning Wish, which is part of the resolution of the spell, and that's when players don't have priority. So so with tokens, tokens will briefly go to the graveyard before disappearing. Is the same, yeah. like, does Burning Wish briefly go to the graveyard before exiling? No, no. Burning Wish goes straight from the stack to exile. Uh, tokens don't exile themselves. Tokens cease to exist when they're in any zone other uh, other than the graveyard, uh, and that happens other than the battlefield. And that happens when priority would be checked, or when players would gain priority. So when SBAs are checked. Uh, so it's completely different. Uh, if Think of it if, like, the spell is reading itself. So it says, you know, it does the first thing. Look at your sideboard, which is the how it's actually worded. Uh, look at your sideboard for an instant or sorcery and put it in your hand. You're like, great, I did that. Now it goes, let's do the next thing. Oh, exile myself. All right, exiled. And then that's it. Cool. Little minute interactions that make magic as rich as it is. Minute interactions that make magic as rich as it is. Yeah, I think, that's, I think, that's going on my gravestone. <laughs> I think the most core interaction is players responding to each other and the, 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 the ability to interact with your opponent on that level. So knowing the structure of return and knowing when you can cast spells and having your opponent able to respond to those spells and you know you anticipating certain responses i think is is one of the most important parts of magic that sets it apart from other games mm-hmm. you know you have games like hearthstone where you know we're, we're playing you know we're responding to each other but it's not the immediate you know back and forth between players and i feel like that's what makes magic rich and unique versus other games that exist yeah that's what i said just better <laughs> uh, Dominic wants to know what's your favorite rules interaction now that phasing is back baby alright so uh, as most of you legacy experts I'm sure that you knew this before uh, alluded to uh, I used to play one sapphire charm in the sideboard of my blueback reanimator deck <laughs> back back when uh, back when it was the uh, Todd Anderson uh, like uh, Esper four color uh freaking stone blade deck and the reason i played the sapphire charm was to, again to exile to force will uh but you know every uh to create a fog effect on a bigger creature like a tarmor wave uh but it also had this ability where you know if a batter skill was put in play and a germ token was attached to that batter skull it would just make the batter skull go away forever now i'm not gonna lie to you and say i understood all of the intricacies of this back in the day because it didn't but i'll explain it to you now <laughs> all i knew is that it worked that way um so before when a token phased out, it was treated as if it was in uh, a different zone. And as you know, the token rules, whenever they're treated as if they're in a different zone, they cease to exist. Uh, however, uh, whenever you phased out, uh, a part of the phasing rules, whenever a creature is phased out, 
anything attached to that creature uh, also phases out. So this is more important when it comes to uh, to auras because the auras, if a creature phases out and the auras didn't phase out, they would you know fall off, which isn't what they wanted to happen. But it's also relevant for equipment. So whenever you phase out a creature, the anything attached to it also phases out, right? And it phases back in when the wording on it is it'll phase back in when the creature attached to it phases back in. Uh, but since the token, in this case for Batterskull, ceased to exist when it left play, the Batterskull says, I want to phase back in when that token phases back in. And goes, well, there's no token, so I guess I'm out, boys. <laughs> And you'd get, you know, a one-mana blue source to plowshares permanently on a batter skill, which at the time was a really big problem for some decks. Mm-hmm. Nice. Awesome. So <laughs> that rule doesn't work anymore. So your favorite no. part is that the rule's going away? Yes. So so now that phasing is changing, uh, it's changing to uh, whenever... moment. Yeah, the tokens can phase in and phase out. That's, that's, the, that's the phasing change. Um... That straight up doesn't work anymore. Now your batter skills can phase in and phase out to their heart's content as much as they want, which is a minor change and only relevant because of one card in the new commander product that doesn't it like make you prevent all damage dealt to you, you have pro everything and it, phase out all of your permanents? It's basically target player phases out. Yeah, except they still are vulnerable to each player discards, each player loses those effects. <laughs> so Wait. Wait, your hand can still be discarded if it's phased out? Is your hand phased out? Let me look up. What's the card name? Teferi's uh, something. Teferi's Master Trick is what I refer to it in my head. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like, uh, that magician movie. You know the one I'm thinking of, that. (laughs) Catch me. Oh, uh. Protection. Until next turn, your life total can't be changed. You can pro everything. All permanents you control phase out. So your hand doesn't phase out. Uh, Okay. Um, which it wouldn't be able to phase out because in order to phase out you have to be on the battlefield. Uh, yeah, only 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 things on the battlefield can actually phase out. So uh, you have protection from everything, but as you know, with protection from everything spells, uh, each player or you know each death. whatever can still be affected. Good old Deathrite Shaman. Just another reason why he's disgusting, right, Pat? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's not target player loses two life. It's each opponent loses two life. So if you ever want to get him. Uh, the unblockable goblin guide as I like to call him (laughs) (laughs) you should be ashamed if you lose if you lose the death of a shaman like literally all the time it's not just me no that's what happens the the freaking death right shaman just draining you for two draining you for two we'll have to get a real sneaky show player on to get their their take on that I'm gonna drive to your house and fire in your face Uh, Dominic also wants to know what are your thoughts on altars alright so uh, altars are part of what makes magic unique we allow players to customize their cards uh, for the enjoyment of themselves and hopefully the players around them and I want to be able to as a judge and this is um, one of the more lenient approaches I want players to be able to play with their altars if it's possible Mm -hmm. now there are three things that make that not possible one of them is it makes the card too thick, right? So, like, if there's any sort of advantage you can gain by using an altar, I'm not going to allow you to use it because it's not fair to everyone else in the turn. Um, and it being too thick is one of the ways it could do that. It being, like, off-center, having square-cut corners or making it not fit right in the deck falls into the same category. The second is the card is completely unrecognizable. So, like, I have taken some card, I've taken a Force of Will, and just, like, altered it with 
swords to plowshares over it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> completely, it doesn't even look even remotely the same. And mm-hmm. I know this is one of the more contentious points of players, because they feel like they should be able to make their cards look what they what they want to look like. It, but, it's not so much deceiving as far as going to different cards. It's more like art replacements. Like, taking yeah. Geist of St. Traft and replacing it with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, but the the problem with some of that, not all of it, some of it, uh, some of the more extreme versions is, you know, when you play Magic, do you recognize cards based on the text in the card, or do you recognize cards interacting with them based on the art and appearance of the card? Definitely. Mm. Just being able. So my I, my my. So I I totally get what you're saying, and like this is one of the reasons why I hate the um, Amonkhet masterpieces yeah, it's so terrible. much. You know, they're awful, like, you can't read them, and also they're ugly. <laughs> and also the art is different. Ugh, I, that, I hate those cards. That's my omniscience on them. Yes, I know they are. <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself. It's better than the pack foils. I just, uh, I want, uh, it was it was a tough decision, but I ultimately yeah. went with right. those. But, so if the, if the art's completely unrecognizable, to the point where, like, I'm debating what the card is, uh, I'm probably not going to allow it. And the third thing is if the card art is offensive in any way, which we covered a little bit earlier, Mm-hmm. that's the one of the three that I'm going to be more strict on. So if it's really offensive or if it gives you an unfair advantage, those two of the three topics, I'm going to be extremely strict on. Um, the second one I've, I've been known to be a little a little looser on, uh, which is fine because I want players to be able to play with their Tarmor uh, <laughs> Yeah, the way, the way I've heard it phrased is the test for it is a judge holds up the card and asks someone across the table... Uh, tell me what this card is right now. And if they can name the card within, you know, a second or two, then the card should be is usually good to go. Yeah. But if you hold up a card and someone's just like, ah, I don't know, it's a, an artifact with a Star Destroyer on it, um, instead of like a Smuggler's Copter or something like that, um, then, you know, that, that might have some problems. Yep. Uh, so that's basically where I stand in altars. I know a lot of judges share similar beliefs. It's, um, it's a contentious topic because, again, like... I love the idea of altars. I feel like it makes magic more customizable and unique. And people, you know, some people treat their decks as not just like the engine from which they play magic, but it's like a way of the way they express themselves. They like playing the, you know, they like playing the one sideboard card that differentiates them from a list and they think is sweet. They like having foils or altered cards that make their deck look unique. And I want to be able to allow those players to play their cards as much as possible. But sometimes it isn't. And it isn't because we want to make sure. Like, players are having a fair environment. I care about the other 55 people in my tournament, yeah. and you. And uh, and some judges are definitely more strict than others. So yes. one, uh, one I've had is uh, at numerous SCG events. I don't know the judge's name, but he was always the hedge judge when I went. Um, I have these Delver of Secret altars that my friend Mike made. And what they are is they are actually a 3D cutout of, uh, like, you know the 3D model altars that you've seen? Um, where just like layers of the same card cut out and made into a panorama. So I have that with like one of them being uh, uh, Anakin on one side and then Darth Vader on the other, and one with like <laughs> regular Goku on one side and Super Saiyan Goku as the as the three two Delver of Secrets. Uh, I have uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman, and so like I have these. They're really cool. I like using them, and I have the Delver of Secrets with me. I have the checklist card in my deck. I have the regular Delver, and I'm just like putting these 3D cards, at, you know, on top of the checklist card as an altar. And some tournaments I go to, it's fine. And other tournaments, the judges are like, no, you can't use that. Yeah. So And it is up to the judge, so. Right. It is definitely a judgment call. So you just kind of have to ask the head judge, you know. I, I don't, I've never, you know, not 
uh, felt you know comfortable going to a head judge and asking. It's just you got to go to him and just say, hey, what's your opinion on this? Always be prepared. Uh, I would heavily recommend against altering very expensive cards, mm-hmm. um, unless you're doing something simple like a border extension or you know some sort of like minor alter, because you might not be allowed to use that card, and it might not be. It might not matter to you whether that card is worth $200 or not, but it might start mattering to you if one out of ten tournaments, a judge is like, switch it out or don't play it. like, And then you don't yeah. have the replacement. Because so. I've, met, I've met judges who are just a strict no-alter policy. Just no alters allowed no matter what they are. Well, that's wrong. Like, straight up, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are rules in place to, to... Every single rule that exists exists for a reason. I don't know if... Uh, if you if you're familiar with the somebody screwed up somewhere and ruined things for everyone, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know you know how somebody somebody always ruins things for everyone else. Oh, okay. Every single rule that exists in the magic in the magic uh, MTR RPG whatever exists because someone somewhere messed up something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and with the alter policy, that is that is the exact case. We we try to make sure that it's fair for everyone, uh, but we also want to enable you to to use your cards to. To, to what makes you happy. Nice. All right, good. Uh, Sean Calvo wants to know what your favorite section of the MTR is. Which, Great. first of all, what is the MTR? So the Magic Tournament rules. Uh, it is the set of uh, rules that you that players, TOs, and judges need to use to run a Magic Tournament. It's what Wizards wants out of their tournaments. So there's a specific section that I like and that I think judges and players always misunderstand, and they need to read it. And I'm saying this very slowly because I want them to go and read this section. It is section 5.2, bribery. (laughs) So, this section... That's also my favorite section, if you know what I mean. (laughs) This section tells you how to not get yourself disqualified for trying to split with your opponents in top eight. Oh man, we have talked about that stat (laughs) so much. And I still feel like I don't understand the. the it even gives you examples. So the okay. short of it is this: you can't, you can, you can split with any opponent you have, uh, but it's not enforceable for by the TO, and you can't split with other players in the tournament if there are multiple matches, besides your opponent, right? Uh, in the finals, you can straight up bribe your opponent as much as you want, as long as it's only things in the in the prize structure. So you know, uh, top eight, we can't agree on a communal top eight split. I can only go to Pat and be like, hey, Pat, uh, after this tournament, do you want to split whatever prizes we get? And then you can say yes, and I can go, great. Bye, I'm going home. You can PayPal me later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's completely legal. However, me going to Pat and saying, Pat, uh, you know, I'll concede and drop and let you go to top four if you split prizes with me, that gets me disqualified from a tournament. Really? Yes. In the finals, though, that completely doesn't matter. In the finals of a tournament, both players can come to any agreement they want as far as prizes that are included in a tournament. This includes, you know, cash, boxes, whatever. And as long as they agree to which player is dropping. So uh, let's say old school PTQs, Pat. Me and you, one of us going to the Pro Tour, Mm -hmm. right? But you're broke as hell and you need some money. (laughs) (laughs) So you go, hey, Gil, you want to go to the Pro Tour? I'm like, hell yeah, I want to go to the Pro Tour. You're like, all right. There's $850 cash between both of, between both of us for prizes. Mm-hmm. Why don't we uh, have second place get the $850 cash, and I'll drop, which means you get to go to the Pro Tour. I'm like, that's a great deal. And we make it, and none of us get disqualified because that's completely legal. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, and it's funny, sometimes people will get disqualified because they didn't even realize that they were bribing their opponent. Like, yes. Uh, last time That's we had... Sh- too, is like, intent, intent has nothing to do with it, right? Like, nope. Uh, so the best way to... Uh, to the best way to prevent yourself from being disqualified, whether you take my advice and read this section or not, which honestly it is seven paragraphs, including two great examples. Uh, so any competitive player should probably do it. Uh, the best way to not get yourself disqualified is to talk to the judge away from your opponent about what you want to say to your opponent and say, hey, judge, if I say these things to my opponent in these exact words, will I get disqualified? And then if he says, no, you're you're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good. All right. So you can run it by a judge first. Yes. If you, if you run into a if, – if, if, if Jerry's the judge and we're sitting at the table, me and you, Pat, and I go, hey, judge, uh, can I tell my opponent that if he gives me all the prizes, uh, I'll concede to him? Mm-hmm. If, if that happens, I still get disqualified because you heard everything and it's, it's not – you can't do it that way. <laughs> it's assumed, yeah. But because then, you know. Yeah, you have to ask the judge away from the table. Uh, and most feels, judges, what's up? It almost feels counterintuitive because it almost kind of feels like asking a police officer, hey, if I do this, am I going to get arrested? Is this cool? <laughs> no? It's cool? All right, I'm going to do this then. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of like that, but at the same point, like, I don't want – the worst thing in the world for me is disqualifying a player. It's miserable for me. That player is never happy. Like, it's just not fun. So if I can do anything to prevent people from being disqualified, I will. Mm-hmm. Including, I've literally caught a dice midair when somebody went to roll it. <laughs> that's, that's Just amazing. smashed you, like, it out of the, the air. The table. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. No. I, I, I do feel like sometimes um, people, like I said, uh, who was it, Jerry, that we heard a friend of ours ended up like there was a top two? Was it was it Blake who who had this issue? Someone had uh, offered to split with her, and and it, ugh, I can't remember how it was. I think it was for buys uh, at Las Vegas or something. Uh, I'm thinking of the pizza incident, so I don't know which one you're thinking of. The pizza oh, well, okay. Let me, <laughs> yes. Maybe I don't know this one. <laughs> the pizza incident. I think it was Sean. When last time we had Sean Calvo on the cast, he told us about an event he was judging where it was like a commander like pod of four, and. The the people come over laughing. They have the match slips signed, and they're laughing and joking. And they just go, "Oh yeah, listen to this. Yeah, my opponent he agreed. You know, the game was taken forever. So so I told them all, oh, you buy me a pizza and uh, and I'll scoop to you. So we're gonna go get pizzas now." And John oh. was just like, "I have to disqualify all four of you now." Oh, that sucks. That sucks. Sean, I, I bet you Sean was just like sitting there like, "Why can you shut up?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's like the cop was like, oh, I was about to get off shift, and now I have to fill out all the stupid paperwork. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's I, the worst. I, that that does suck. I, now, do you think that there's room for improvement in that rule in that rule set uh, for for bribery? Like, so I don't, and this is the reason. It's not controlled by the judge system. It's controlled mm-hmm. by what Watsi. Like I said, the Magic Tournament rules is influenced by judges, but not written by judges. It's it's. Mm-hmm. It's the how Watsi runs wants their tournament run, and that has to do with uh, preventing gambling laws. Okay. Uh, a lot of what happens in our policy is preventing Magic from being a gambling game. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's why the rule set is the way it is. The lawyers have okayed it. We haven't gotten sued over it yet. Um, that's why the rules are the way they are, as far as that specific scenario is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best thing that judges can do is make sure their players are informed about what's going on to protect themselves. Okay. Cool. Nice. 
Um, all right, let's get through some more of these questions as we're we're running along on time. Um, sh- did we go through the uh, Sean's question about the more serious one? Uh, do you feel that there's still a stigma of certain sizes of events calling a and call, like calling a judge, like at a GP or your first time playing comp REL tournaments? Do you feel there's any correlation between the presence of an L1 and an LGS and being comfortable with calling a judge at a competitive REL event? So I used to, but um, and when a when a when a player is at their first big tournament, they might feel that way. But in my experience, judges at bigger events, GPs, SG Opens, and players for that matter, have gotten very used to calling a judge when anything goes wrong, mm-hmm. because nothing bad can happen. Like if your opponent makes a mistake, regardless of how big it is. It's only ever going to be positive for you, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, uh, so the the stigma's kind of gone. The stigma of like you know it's bad for the environment if you call a judge has been false for a long time, and I feel like is going away. Uh, yeah, I think I think nice. now it's mostly just nerves. You know, people it's their first events. You know, they 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 they've just never done it before, and you're just going to be nervous anytime you do something you've never done something for, especially you know throwing your hand up in the air in the room full of people that you don't know and screaming judge and you know we've all been at events where someone just say, like puts their lungs into it and says judge and like everyone in the area just like turns and looks at them <laughs> and a new player sees that and they just see like all of a sudden 300 people all have their eyes on this one person yeah. uh it, it can be a little bit nerve-wracking especially for newer players who, who aren't used to it that's fair that's fair so i think it's more just a personal issue at this point yeah I think it's I, – I, I definitely feel like since I started playing Magic, um, I've gotten a lot more com- – I think probably the longer you play the game, the more comfortable you are calling a judge. Because I'll call a judge now even when I'm convinced that, that we're doing the right thing and my opponent may not be super clear. Um, or like, you know, uh, a, lot of my, a lot of my cards are in Japanese. I'll call a judge just – even if I could tell the opponent what the card says, I still want the judge to show the opponent exactly what the card says, like uh, on their phone or whatever the case mm-hmm. Uh, Zach, who is uh, also a member of the the ribbing this uh, Saturday at Scholars, uh, <laughs> what makes what makes you a better judge than Kyle? I'm sorry, Kyle. <laughs> I meant nothing by it. I was just wondering where Gil was. <laughs> uh, so I answered Zach. Uh, me, me and Kyle are on the same page as far as a lot of organizational things. Um, I've just been at it longer. That's basically what it is like i have experience beyond beyond what kyle's experienced in organizing and running magic tournaments and uh you know we're obviously good friends uh and we work together on a lot of things you guys are roommates too aren't you yeah 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 i feel that's god someone get you guys a sitcom (laughs) just like (laughs) a store owner and a judge living together in their daily hijinks (laughs) oh oh, uh so recently right and this is kind of embarrassing for me uh i uh didn't report his last PPTQ's top eight. I just like straight up, no, like I straight up like just I was really tired that day or whatever. I just like submit upload. I had the bracket in my hand because I, I don't I don't use Word for every round of top eight. I just use a bracket, and I was just like upload, go home. Uh, and then he like knocks on my door at like 7 a.m. and is like, Yo, Gil, what the fuck? I'm just like, <laughs> like here, talk to my wizard's rep. I'm just like, <laughs> Just sitting here like, fuck me, man. <laughs> not, not too often the T.O. knocks on your bedroom door. <laughs> it's like, comes comes the first of the month, uh, Kyle's just like, oh, I just must have forgot to upload rent this month. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, uh, but besides that, it's it's fine. <laughs> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to some Hollywood people, Gil. 
Get, get oh, yeah? that ready. We're gonna send getting, you guys, getting in on that? We're going to get sending you guys to Tinseltown. Me and my sister are seriously considering doing the uh, uh, interviewing for the Amazing Race. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're, oh yeah, we're completely different. Like I'm like the nerdy gamer, and she's just like the classic douchey girl. <laughs> uh, and we think it'd make a great uh, a great cast. We also hate each other, so it'd be great. <laughs> Perfect drama. Pat, yeah. we should apply for the Amazing Race too. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, I didn't realize how uh, much Sean Kel... Like, I feel like you should just spend an afternoon with Sean. He's got a lot of questions for you here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, Sean's a great... Yeah, no, he's awesome. Um, let's see. So Matt asked, uh, what format has the most judge calls where knowing the layers is important? Uh, what's the oddest non-contrived layers judge call you've had? I mean, one of the things that... so. Layers don't come up that often, to be perfectly honest. 90, 99.9% judge calls don't involve them. Uh, there are the obvious, you know, Blood Moon and Uruborg, where they're dependent, uh, you know, Uruborg is dependent on other things. Um, one of the most common common ones is actually uh, power toughness switches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for instance, like, you know, Wandering from Roll? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, like, this is simple, but some, to some players, they don't, they just don't understand it uh, because they're not familiar with how... how uh, how layers interact with the game of magic. Um, you have uh, a a wandered from roll that's gotten plus four plus four and then it's switched or plus three plus two and it's switched. And what's mm-hmm. the resulting power and toughness? And it's not you know whatever resolve first like normally would like normally you know whatever resolves first is the resulting power and toughness or whatever. But it, including the layer system, it actually is not that way. So if I have a one four that whenever you know you cast an instant or sorcery, it's power and toughness switches. And, and I give it plus three plus one. What actually happens is uh, switching happens last. It's the last uh, sublayer and it's still layer seven point five. Um, it'll get the plus three plus one first, so it'll become a four five, and then it'll switch to a five four after. Regardless if the because the switch technically happens first because it resolves first, so the switch is applied first. But when you actually go through all of your layers and apply each effect in the order it's supposed to be applied in, it results in a different a different conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's simple, and any any you know any experienced judge will be able to tell you that. But it's the most common things that players will get wrong about layers. Other than that, it honestly doesn't come up that much. And players, players, judges like talking about how uh, layers come up very often. And players know of this mythical layer land where judge rulings go weird, but it it honestly doesn't happen that much. <laughs> unless, unless you're playing the layers deck, which is specifically designed to have as many layers as possible. That's fine though. Whatever, still won't matter that much. Yeah. Um, one of the like good examples is: Have you ever seen like the Eureka deck that plays like Gideon Jura or whatever? Uh, well, I mean, I know the the Layers deck that runs like Gideons and Humilities yeah. and Batter Skulls yeah. and Mishra's Factories and just all cards that just get around Humility because of the Layers rules. Yes. So the thing is, like Humility will apply in a certain in a certain layer, uh, a certain sub layer as well, and then other effects will modify that creature's power and toughness later. Um, later in 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 the order, so that's why if you have humility in play and then you put a Gideon in play, then you activate the Gideon. The activation happened most recently, so it it it, it results in it being a six six. Mm-hmm. And then you throw a batter skull on there. <laughs> Dirt and giant. Yeah. Well, it's like you have that was like an old OG combo because it's like you have humility in play, and all of a sudden Mishra's Factory is the most beastly creature in the world. Yeah, things 
huge. <laughs> it's a monster. <laughs> Two twos were unheard of. Uh, all right, let's let's move along. We're running out of time. Um, so what are uh, we already covered? Andrew's phasing question. Uh, John Kerman wants to know. I guess just craziest judge call. What's the most memorable? What just sticks out in your mind the most? All right. So uh, a PTQ three years ago, we had the situation where uh, a spectator stops match, did everything right, came up to me and said, I think one player has too few cards in hand. Uh, has like, you know, a bunch of, doesn't have as many cards in hand as they should. Doesn't have any other information for me. So I go over, I start talking to them. And I ask the player, hey, how many cards do you have in hand? He's like, two. I'm like... Okay, where are they? Right here? Okay. Are you, are you sure you're supposed to have two? He's like, yeah, I have two cards in my hand. And I'm like, all right. And then I asked his opponent, like, hey, opponent, like, how many cards should your opponent have? And he's like, I have no idea. Like, <laughs> As, a, as my reaction would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, clearly high quality. Anyways. <laughs> hey, I'm just trusting. I trust my opponent is doing the right thing. So, you know, I start, like, I start thinking there's nothing here. And then, like, I do some quick math, because it's, like, turn five or six. And I realize that this player is actually supposed to have six cards in his hand. Because of <laughs> the amount of cards he's played, the amount of cards in his graveyard and cantrips and whatever, I figured out he's supposed to have six cards. So I'm like, how many times did you mulligan? He's like, once. I'm like, all right, so you're supposed to have five cards in hand. What, the, what happened to your other cards? So after, like, I went through his whole deck, couldn't find... He was short three cards from his deck. Went through his deck. Went to his sideboard. There was three cards... From his main deck, this is like game three too, but three cards that he ended up saying were from his main deck in his sideboard for a total of 18 cards. And I was just like, how did these cards end up in your sideboard? And he had no explanation for me. And I came up with what he did was he put his hand down on top of his sideboard and then picked two cards back up later. Mm-hmm. Or like he, he like, like consulted his sideboard and was accidentally holding cards. Yeah. And like... I ended up just being like, at the time, the rule set, uh, just that this would be a different ruling nowadays. It would be a very interesting ruling nowadays. Um, you'd, nowadays, though, the ruling would be, yeah, hidden card error. You reveal all 18 cards of your sideboard to your opponent. They pick three cards to put in your hand. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, but the ruling back then was like, all right, man, I guess you just discard three cards from the game. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> Uh, and the, 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 the thing that stuck with me was like the player had no idea that he lost three cards from him. Like, that's, that should be significant right like that's he, like, he was just like oh what do I have five two doesn't matter right <laughs> and like the other opponent had no idea either and this player was just like the player who stopped the match was like I don't know what happened here but you're supposed to have way more than two cards in your hand buddy <laughs> so uh, that that has to be the, the the most interesting question. That's awesome. <laughs> um, the craziest one I've ever seen was uh, I was at a tournament and two people uh, had the same sleeves and uh, an, and an opponent accidentally shuffled his hand into his opponent's deck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, luckily, they were like different enough that they could figure it out but still it's just like <laughs> uh did you have the mercadian mass brainstorms or the ice age brainstorms <laughs> uh, that's kind of great 
Um, Sean wants to know how much of a role do you feel customer service? Uh, we kind of already covered that, you know, yeah, customer service good. good. Uh, I'm skipping a bunch of your Sean because you just have all of them, but just quickly here, uh, what are your opinions on requiring judges that call uh, that judge at competitive or professional events play in competitive events with any degree of frequency? I mean, it's insanely important. Like you, if you so the this isn't as obvious as um it, it makes it out, but what Sean is referring to is some judges choose to judge 100% of the time and they never play competitively. But the problem is they don't know their they don't know their community. They you know they don't know what it's like to play in an event. They're never on the other side. Um, and I feel like it's helped me personally immensely and a lot of the other judges I know when they're able to play competitively. They they understand what it's like to be you know part of a judge call from the player perspective, and that's immensely important. Like it gives you so much perspective and helps you understand what players want, what they want to what they want to hear, the information that they want, that they care about. And it's, I don't know if requiring it, requiring it's very strong, mm-hmm. um, but definitely highly encouraging it. And a way that, way that I personally highly encourage it uh, is I actually give any judge who uh, is not accepted to TJ Collectibles events, I give them free entry fee if they want to come judge, if they want to come play. Um, oh, and any, any judge who applies, who wants to be part of, who wants to be part of helping my event, be successful if they don't get accepted i've I've been offering them free entry and uh hope, hopefully that helps yeah that's awesome um so sean also wants to know what your opinions are slow play on slave wow i am tongue twisted uh your opinions on slow play specifically in legacy which is quote-unquote a thinking man's format how some people associate you are playing slow and i need you to play faster with you are a stupid bad player and i need you to be smarter better <laughs> uh, slow play is a contentious issue for everyone. Um, I feel like players should be allowed to make full and complete decisions, and if they're taking too long to make certain decisions, they need to be asked to play faster. The biggest disconnect with judges that I've had has been when do you need to tell them this, right? Um, so a lot of judges, I'm sure you've you've been a victim of, uh, not a victim, but you've been a subject of this. Uh, I would say victim. Have, <laughs> You've been trying to make a decision. You go through lines or whatever. And maybe you're taking too long, but a judge just says, you know, make a decision, play faster. Well, when you're thinking, right? And this ends up being counterproductive because now, like, you're trying to figure out what goes on, what's going on in the board state, and now your whole thinking process has to restart because you were interrupted. Um, in my my personal opinion, uh, I feel like you should be warned or cautioned after you make any decisions. So, like. Jerry's taking a while to decide whether he wants to cast the Nihiri that does nothing or the Bloodwind does nothing. Uh, and, I wait, and as a judge, I wait until Jerry makes his useless decision to say, hey, Jerry, I need you to make these decisions faster. Um, and I feel like that respects the player and also the integrity tournament more. Um, obviously, there's a degree of reasonableness. Like, if you're taking an extra 40 seconds, I'll wait. If you're taking an extra five minutes, I'll, like stop you and be like what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) i'm waiting for my opponent to respond and then their opponent goes i was waiting for you to respond (laughs) yeah so uh i feel like (sighs) slow play is hard to address because as sean mentioned it it really ends up being like a sort of dagger to that player's ability to make decisions at a reasonable pace but we need tournaments to end and we need giving people infinite time isn't fair towards players who are who are taught to and who are who have learned to play at a faster rate. 
Um, so we definitely need to to enforce it. And it's actually it's a little bit under enforced, um, but it's it's about how you enforce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the times I've enforced it by you know giving a person a caution or warning, and then after the match talking to them about you know their pace of play and talking about how like how they can improve it so that so that situations like this don't happen again. And I feel like that's one of the part that parts that judges miss. Um, they'll give you a warning and be all uh, huff and puff about it, but they'll never go to talk to the player and make sure that like you know talk to them about like why what was happening isn't something that can happen. Not just like you know from your laurels assess penalties and judgment. It's it's not effective. I've I've I've, I've addressed slow play better by talking to people than I ever have by giving out a penalty. Have you ever come across judges who are drunk with power? <laughs> Not Ask, so asking much. for a friend. Have you ever across, come, come across Jerry in judge form? Is that what you're <laughs> so not so much recently. There's been some stuff in the past. Um, honestly, like I mentioned, most judges, to the best of their ability and understanding, are trying just to have a fair environment for players. Mm-hmm. Like you're ne- a judge is almost never out to get you, ever. Like a judge is just there to get the tournament running and get it, you know, make sure that is done as efficiently and f- and with a, with enough enjoyment as possible. Um, never go into a situation and be like, the judge was just out to get me, so he made this ruling because he didn't like me. That's never true. Like, but players somehow think it's true all the time, and it's it's just not. <laughs> uh. <laughs> nice. All right, I'm going to skip over the ones we've already covered. Uh, Steven wants to know, in a more personal question, how often does judging interfere with other life events? I'm not required to judge. <laughs> um, I organize events on, you know, if I have any major personal life events, I just won't judge that weekend. Uh, I have a schedule of events that usually goes anywhere from three to six months in the future, sometimes even longer. Uh, where, you know, I organize days where I'm going to be judging this day. Um, it doesn't interfere at all. I have time to do whatever else I need to do. And I'll never prioritize judging over major things that are happening in my life, if, if they are happening. Ah, my nephew's being born, but I really got to judge this RPTQ. <laughs> yeah, it's not... I'm also never required to judge. Like, it's never like... You know, the DCI or whatever doesn't exist anymore is saying, Gil, go judge this event or get decertified. It's never like that. <laughs> so. <Right. laughs> okay. Um, Anthony wants to know, uh, what is the most polite way to tell a judge, I think my opponent is cheating? Great. Obviously not in front of the opponent. Uh, <laughs> so, so now that not we've... to his face. <laughs> Great. So, so now we've gotten up, we've gotten away from the table, and you're talking to me about what's happened. Uh, I don't want you to be like, judge my opponent's cheating. I want you to say what happened in your match and say that your concern is that this may have been done intentionally and that any reasonable judge will just take it from there and make sure and, and do some sort of investigation to make sure what's happening is kosher or not. So go over with the judge, you know, hey, judge, I want to talk to you about this thing that's happening in my match right now or has happened. Go over from your perspective what happened and then say, my concern is that this was done intentionally mm-hmm. and then the judge will take it from there. Yeah. The way I handle it, uh, whether it's, you know, concerns of cheating or just concerns that my opponent's slow playing or anything like that, is I'll call a judge, I'll say, hey, I have a question away from the table, and I'll bring my hand over, and as I'm talking to the judge, I'll just hold my hand up so it almost just looks like that we're talking about a card in my hand. 
That way, you, you don't, you know, have your opponent thinking, oh, that he's talking about me. I'm not whispering in the judge's ear while pointing in my opponent's face. <laughs> and I'll just, just say it's, I have a question away from the table. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, any judge will, will take that with stride and make sure that make sure that a, a investigation is launched. And, you know, it's... I I would encourage players if they if they think anything is done intentionally or not to definitely talk to whatever judge they have available to them because that's the that's the only way it gets resolved and you know the one thing about uh, cheaters and about people who take advantage of, of of their opponents is they're pretty consistent so you know if Jerry's a savage cheater and I don't get him this time for cheating <laughs> if. you know because he's savage uh, I, <laughs> allegedly right Jerry allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> Eventually, he's just going to cheat again, and then I'm going to be like, well, he did this last time, and he's doing similar thing this time. I'm led to believe it's, you know, on purpose now, so you're out. <laughs> <laughs> Philip wants to know, how much do you love Judge Tower? So Judge Tower is a game where judges compete with each other to see who makes a mistake first, and it's great for that reason. Uh, yeah, I love it. It's great. If you guys don't, if you guys are unfamiliar with Judge Tower, uh, and you're also not great at the rules of Magic, it's probably not the game for you. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's just a shared deck in the middle, and every player on your turn, you draw a card, and the goal is you have to, uh, you know, resolve every trigger, every activation, everything just in order, and the goal is just not to make a mistake. Yep, I'm probably explaining that. Very poorly. No, that's that's about right. The fir- if you make a mistake, you get either eliminated or get a shame token. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the first person to make you know enough mistakes loses the game. It's a it's a pretty great game. Uh, it teaches you a lot that you didn't know, and it does it in a way that I personally enjoy, which is by fire and embarrassing. <laughs> so yeah, Dust Tower is great. Gotcha. Now, this next question has been a bit contentious in the you know Magic community and judges uh, recently. It's kind of died down lately, but I remember it being a big deal last year. Uh, William wants to know... Probably still in litigation, to be honest with you. Yeah, probably still in litigation. Oh, yeah, I forgot the Wizards got sued. <laughs> but uh, how do you feel about, you know, Wizards' compensation of judges and what is essentially, you know, paying them in product for 12-hour days? Well, a lot of it's a bit misconstrued. GPs are all cash now. Um, and a lot of the work I do is for cash. I wouldn't agree to work. I wouldn't agree to doing work if I wasn't being fairly compensated. Mm-hmm. Um, you, this is specifically mentioning the judge lawsuit, uh, which is still in deposition. Um, it's hard because even though nowadays judges are getting frankly abused less than they used to. For instance, before a floor judge at a PP, at a PTQ would get like a box after a 12-hour day or a box and 20 bucks or whatever. And honestly, you know, for a 12-hour day with an hour of driving each way or more, that's not enough. Um, nowadays, you know, for a PPTQ, you do get paid uh, not considerably more, but more, fairly more, uh, enough where it's and it's only it's a shorter day. Uh, I wouldn't do it if I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fair. And he specifically mentions non-monetary compensation, and I can tell you that because of recent labor laws, that that's frankly gone away. Mm. So it's it's less of a problem than it was before. Nice. Um, oh. Judges do it because they love it, but you know, we've there's been a lot of improvements on on compensation and, and other other hot topics of attention. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, kind of touching on that a bit, how do you feel about the change that took place a little while ago, moving the judge promo, you know, which is obviously just a, a benefit for judges, uh, kind of a thank you, uh, moving it from like kind of almost an attendance base to a more recommendation based? Do you think that was a good move, a bad move, or why? All right, so you're talking about the Exemplar program, which is a program where, you know, every season uh, we get to uh, highlight some other judges for being awesome and they get foil packets in the mail and whatever. And while the system isn't perfect and does lead to some very well-rehearsed problems that have been debated to the end of time, uh, it does a couple of things. Before at a GP, when I went to a GP, I didn't really know I was being paid. Uh, I could tell you this. Typical compensation for a level two floor judge at a GP back when foils were a thing. You would work two days. You'd get two boxes a day, a $20 meal stipend per day. And after you worked two days, you would get foil packets, a foil packet equal to your level. So two foil packets. Now, that foil packet could be worth 250 350 100 You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you had no idea where you were being paid. Uh, and it was compensation. It was a big part of your compensation. You had to buy a plane ticket to this thing. You know what I'm saying? So, like, in a hotel. So, like, it, it was very variable. You weren't getting paid in cash, which was very difficult because, you know, you did have to buy plane tickets. So judges who were getting judge foils weren't really even able to enjoy them because – they were just having to sell them every single weekend. So, like, when when all of the players were like, oh, look at all these cool judge foils. Why, get, why don't we get anything cool? It was actually like the judge was sitting there like, yeah, I had to book a plane ticket, so they're gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Never really thought of it that way. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, so now we don't have that system. Now TOs have to pay us uh, in cash or boxes or whatever they offer, um, which is mostly cash nowadays. And it ends up having to be enough cash to cover your weekend and to pay you a reasonable amount. Uh, and now, whenever you get judge foils, which you don't get them every season, is based on your performance and other people recognizing your performance. Uh, you just get judge foils in the mail. And personally, uh, I've been lucky under the system because I've been recognized a, a decent amount. But it's just extra. You know, if you want to keep them, if you want to sell them, it's all extra and it's it's nice. It's I think this is a better system, but it's not perfect. One of the biggest things, Jerry, is before you would only get judges under the old system. You get judges for floor judging a GP, and you get judge foils for going to a conference, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, uh, for your local judge who never judges GPs, they would just never get foils. They would never see a judge foil besides their conference every year, which didn't even give you cool ones. Now... You know, if you only do FNM, you might get an exemplar, you know, once a year or whatever. I try to make sure level one judges get, you know, I try to make sure that if they do anything cool that it definitely gets recognized. Um, so now, like, a judge who wasn't getting foils before is now able to, which I think is one of the strongest points of the system. That's, that's awesome. All right. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and finally, uh, William wants to know, why has the Judges Hall of Fame not been continued? I don't know the answers to that question. I'm pretty sure it's just been put on hold until litigation ends. I didn't even know there was a judges hall of fame. There is. Uh, there's a judge hall of fame with some of the like older original architects of the judge program in them. Uh, it's it's you know it's a group of people who are much older than me who have been judging for about as long as I've been alive. <laughs> so uh, definitely definitely deserved by them. Uh, as far as why it's been put on hold, it's probably because of program changes and uh litigation by uh by Watsi. that's unfortunate it, it is what it is we have to wait until the thing ends before we can actually move on and i think a big part of moving on is the channel fireball change for next year 
now that Channel Fireball is running all of the GPs, they basically get to say judges are my employee, and uh, that solves a lot of our issues. Sense. That makes it, that that's a good reason for them to go with one TO for all GPs as well, because obviously Watsy doesn't have the resources. I I would imagine to run the GPs themselves. Uh, it's not that they don't. It's that they don't want to. Sure. It's not. They don't want the money, and the judge thing has been very difficult. Because you know how how would you like to be owning a company where all of a sudden somebody out there has a semi legitimate claim that says you have six thousand more employees than you did yesterday? Right. Oh yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, that's not a good spot to be in for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just the back taxes alone. Yeah. It's that's yeah that would be not great. That's probably why they're charging so much for Hascon. <laughs> Trying to get ahead of the costs. Oh, speaking of Hascon, I don't know if you guys are considering going, but it's going to be a great event. Uh, uh, I I definitely am going. I got my press pass for it. Jerry, did you get any word back on yours? No, they haven't talked to me yet. They okay. haven't. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. You did apply that? Yeah, I applied. Okay. <laughs> yes, I applied. I mean, just it's not like just wishful thinking. They haven't they haven't found found you and then emailed you and said, hey, you, you want to go to this? <laughs> no, I, I literally just pulled up my uh, literally just pulled up my emails. I got nothing from Hascon. What, what, what was the deadline? Should I should I apply again? Uh, don't apply again. I don't think that that'll. So who did you uh who did you email? Uh, they had like um, uh, I can pull it up. They had like a little application process for. I don't know if it's past. No, let me look at what. Is it uh Alan at Pastimes? No, 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 no. Um. Oh, Pastimes is running it. Pastimes is running all the magic events. Oh, I did not. Oh look. no, this was this was actually just for a straight up Hasbro. Um, Hasbro. Right. Yeah. Real quick. Well, I will be there. Uh, the event oh, awesome. is the event is. I am so excited uh, because this is like I don't know how long you guys have been playing Magic, but the old school pre-releases were like one of the coolest times for me, where you got to mm-hmm. open up, where you got to open a Magic product for the first time, and like yeah. nobody around you, the internet didn't exist or wasn't great, and like you just got to like see cards that were never spoiled, and now like figure out how to play with them, and that's what's happening, and it's happening. <laughs> It's happening for just us in New England. Like we get this experience that people for, that I know from Europe are paying money to fly to the United States to get that experience. So I would heavily recommend going because it's like literally a once in a lifetime experience for Magic players. Mm. Yeah, it is pretty cool. My only the only thing that I'm down on was the cost of the events seems very very high, and just getting at the event. You have to be- buy a badge, which is kind of unfortunate because I like personally I don't really have any. Like if if I wasn't if I didn't have media um like a, a media badge I don't know if I would attend because even though I really want to play the event I don't care so much about the other things that are part of the con so it's it's tough it's like a tough sell for me but um I'm excited to go to it and check it out it should be a good time and the pre-release for what is it, Iconic Masters should be super cool I'm excited for that. this is gonna be another event that I don't go to and I'm gonna I'm gonna cry on the cast for like the next four episodes Jerry just like just unload like. One percent of your foil tarmogoyfs, and you'll be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then what do I sleep on? <laughs> <laughs> you just stuff some chains of Mephistopheles. Yeah, I guess so. I guess. So. Which I, I'm surprised that none of the listeners had questions about chains. I thought for sure that would be one of the things. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, um, I think we got through all of our questions. Um, so, so Gil, you, you know, on this on the cast, we don't do. Uh, we don't do shout-outs at the end. We do scoops into top eight. So is there anyone out there in the Magic community or beyond that you want to uh, to give a little props to, maybe scoop them into top eight? 
Oh, did we lose him? I think we lost Gil. Yeah. Hello? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hello, better? <laughs> better? You're there. We can hear you. I want to give props to uh, Tom Smiley for uh, not only top aiding the Legacy Titanium Plus, but also top aiding the challenge the next day, the Modern Titanium Plus and the challenge the next day, taking home like over a thousand dollars at the TJ's weekend. The guy's a savage and has a beautiful <laughs> has a beautiful little kid uh, and a wife to give all of his money to. <laughs> yeah, props to Tom. Awesome. Uh, also, just um, as a tangent. Tom messaged me. He saw the playmats that we put up, and he has an autographed uh, John Avon, like limited edition signed uh, Journey to Somewhere Else. It's like the <laughs> Kickstarter playmat that he put out. Um, he's gonna donate it to the cast to uh, to raffle off uh, for that benefit as well. Um, yeah. So he sent me a link. Uh, the playmat is gorgeous, signed by John Avon. So we're gonna put that up uh, sometime this week yeah. and, uh, and raffle that off as well. He don't he wanted to donate that. He said he might have some more for us. So uh, Tom Smiley just. Awesome guy. Yeah, yeah quality uh, individual. Yes, for sure. It looks like, speaking of the raffle, it looks like the Geist one. Yeah, the Geist one is already full. Yep. Um, value one only has a couple spots. Um, I have some mats, too, that we can raffle off I'm going to go through. Um, so, yeah, we'll keep raffling them for the for the charity cause for Steven, um, you know, and as long as there's interest. So Yeah, for sure. If you guys um, want raffles, we'll do raffles. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. Thank you uh, again. Like this is a preemptive thank you, but uh, to all the listeners who like just love to support um, support the show and and donate. You know, we've done some, we've done a few other fundraisers where we're trying to to donate uh uh you know to to causes and whatnot. So we appreciate that. That's really awesome. Hell yeah, Pat, you got you got scoops. Uh yeah, I mean obviously Tom is uh, on my my list for sure. Um, and I want to just scoop in the uh, the whole crew that was at gaming, etc. I didn't get a chance to talk about it too much uh, the week the previous week, but I went out there, did the old the old two four, uh, including one one win for a buy. So I uh, had a very poor showing myself, but the tournament, as always, was really well run. Um, it's just it's just awesome to go there and see friendly faces and get a chance to hang out. And we got to go out to dinner uh, afterwards. We went out with uh, with with our friend Ian and uh, Celso. And just had an awesome time, so I just wanted to scoop all them into top eight. Awesome. Well, I want to scoop you in, Gil. Thanks so much for coming on. This was awesome, giving us the behind-the-scenes look. Uh, I also just want to scoop in all the tournament organizers, you know, Tom, Michelle, um, you know, everyone just for, you know, especially Kyle, because I feel real bad, Kyle. I'm still real sorry. (laughs) Hey, you're not, You're not, That's great. Um, I'm gonna. You don't understand Kyle. the you don't understand the ammunition you've just given me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doubly sorry, Kyle, for the hell you're about to go through. <laughs> so double two scoops, two scoops of raisin brand deliciousness for Kyle. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so so Gil, um, do you do Twitter at all, or do you have? A, I know you're on Facebook a little bit. Uh, yeah. Do you use that to communicate with people? Yeah, I, I use Facebook to communicate with people primarily, or my email address. Awesome. Um, all right, so great. You can they can find you on on Twitter. On uh, sorry, on Facebook. Uh, you're part of the Leaving Legacy page too, so I'm sure people will want to tag you in a post there. That's a good way to get a hold of you. Yeah, absolutely. How about you? How about you, Jerry? Where can people find you? Um, no, you have to say it. I'm not allowed. All right, of course. All right, you can find Jerry at J M E E three R G on Twitter. Um, Pat at Pat Uglo on Twitter. The stream is twitch.tv slash Pat Uglo. I'm in the process of moving my computer upstairs i'm gonna have my own like dedicated streaming room which is pretty sweet streaming slash recording yeah i'm pretty excited for that i moved both my children into one bedroom 
Uh, oh, man. I'm playing the long game. All right, there's your priorities. <laughs> hey, it's good. It's 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 bonding experience for my children, so. Uh, and it's, it's a good reason not to have a third child, because my stuff's already in that room, so it's full. Um, uh, no, but uh, so you can find this, the stream, twitch.tv slash patyugle. I should be back to regular schedule soon. I know I say that pretty much every week, but that is life. What can I say? Um... And, uh, yeah, as always, you know, you guys can find us on, uh, on Patreon, you can find us on Facebook, you can, uh, find us on Hipsters, you can join the Facebook group, and you can email the show. This is something I keep forgetting to mention. Uh, if you want to email us, if you have a long-form thing you want to talk to us about, legacy at hipstersofthecoast.com. Yeah. Now, while I get the trusty 20-sided die, Pat, Gil, are there any, uh, events coming up you want to plug? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, we have... The end of the month, uh, TGS Titanium Plus event in, uh, at the DC Center in Worcester, Massachusetts. On Sunday, uh, so Sunday, August, what do you call? 27th? 27th. 27th. Uh, we are having our Legacy Challenge, which, uh, you know, is going to be streamed live by the stream team with, uh, some awesome commentators. Uh, and, you know, there's tons of cash on the line and, of course, the trophy. Uh, so, you know, if you guys want to come down to the DC Center in Worcester to jam some Legacy on August 27th, that'd be wicked awesome. Uh, we also, uh, for Kyle, for Scholars, we have our quarterly event, which I mentioned earlier, um, but I want to talk about it a little bit more. So uh, Kyle has shifted his focus to running larger events every three months, and this Legacy Tournament is going to be streamed. We're giving out some insane prizes, uh, and it's just going to be absolutely bananas. We have tons of awesome stuff planned for it to be announced because we want to kind of like give you a taste of it every week or so. Uh, but that event's October 7th. Uh, so, you know, we already talked about potential guaranteed tabernacle to first. How else are you going to build your lands deck? Uh, <laughs> but beyond that, we're trying to include some absolutely insane stuff that you just don't see at every tournament. Gil, uh, more importantly, event. more importantly, how am I going to build my stasis deck with three tabernacles? This is I how. don't know, man. <laughs> you need three? Well, you need three. Um, let me, let me tell this you. is gonna be October seventh at at in up in Bridgewater. Is that correct? Yeah, well, it's in Brockton, but yeah, it's right okay, over the sorry. Bridgewater line. It's right over the Bridgewater line in Brockton, Massachusetts. Uh, check them out at uh, check them out at uh, Facebook uh, slash Scholars Games. And you said and, they're streaming it as well. Sorry, yes, uh, they are streaming it live. Uh, Eric Dupree and Brainstorm MTG uh, will be streaming it live. We're trying to get some uh, some uh, the trophy we're working on. It might be produced by Wormwood Games. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. You can just um, tell them to carve uh, a likeness of me preemptively. Likeness of you preemptively. Sorry, I don't want your face on my deck box. <laughs> it's going to be mine. <laughs> I'm going to win it. That's what I'm saying. That's oh, what I'm okay. saying. We'll, we'll split top eight. Yeah, we'll, you just cut me in half just right down the middle. <laughs> Each get a half a little Jerry. <laughs> if you guys like Legacy, make sure to definitely check out those events. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you mentioned, Jerry, that some TOs are, you know, they don't get good turnout, so they give up on it. These are the TOs that aren't. You know, you have three awesome TOs in the Massachusetts area that are committed to making Legacy work, and these are the people who we need to be helping. Yes, so, for sure. Awesome, awesome stuff. And not to say the other TOs, you know, don't, don't do a good job. It's just these are the three TOs who are doing big, you know, regional style, trying to yeah. get 100, 200 people. Um, I really want... Uh, the stores to just maximize the space they have and be able to throw these really memorable tournaments. Yeah, and like again, it's awesome that they're all local game stores to us. It's pretty insane that three of the best around are like within an hour from from at least from from where I live. So we are, we are so spoiled in Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, it, 
Do we have time for a quick story? Yes. So in other parts of the country, uh, especially parts where there's a lot of farmland, there isn't a lot of game stores. There's, as a matter of fact, there's two game stores in Cincinnati. And when I was there, uh, I went to an FM because I got there early for whatever reason. Uh, and this brother, these two brothers, talked about their daily life, their weekly life. Their life is this. They work from Monday to Friday, 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day on a farm. Then they drive from the farm two and a half hours into town to stay at their sister's house to play in FM, have their day off in town on Saturday, and then they drive back to go to church on Sunday and they're back to their grind. These guys in Massachusetts were like, oh, it's a 30-minute drive to this event. I'm going to hate like <laughs> These guys, like, you know, they're like two brothers love magic and are driving like three hours to go to their FM. <laughs> they must have their decks and like all their sleep like their decks and top loaders so they don't crush their decks when they're shuffling them. Those guys must be fucking huge. <laughs> <laughs> they were certainly fit. Uh, but like, you know, that's it's an example of we we have it pretty good here in New England. Um yeah, no, we're spoiled. It's a uh, yeah. It's sometimes hard to tell, but you know, we have our selection of game stores, we have our selection of events, and there's a lot of awesome people committed to making to making those events work, and I'm proud to be one of them. That's awesome. Well, glad to have you as part of the community. It's great. Absolutely. Thank you guys for giving the opportunity to show up. I had a great time. Awesome. Jerry, you got a data roll? I got to die. All right, let's let's do it. Gil, are you hoping for any special song on the list? (laughs) Uh, Just go. Just do it. (laughs) (laughs) We got 14. All right. Zach Turgeon. Request the old theme music to piss (laughs) off Aaron Gazaniga. I can do that. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> oh, that's great. Awesome. Zach, you're the man. <laughs> awesome. Play us out with something old but sweet, Pat. <laughs> hey, guys. You're listening to Leaving a Legacy. This is John Kerman, and you're listening to Leaving a Legacy. Hi, this is PJ Butler, and you're listening to Leaving a Legacy. This is Kyle, and you're listening to Leaving a Legacy. Hey, this is Jim. This is Leaving a Legacy. Got a mouthful of meat. Um. Oh, wait. That's not what I meant. Don't put that on there. Now we take you to the Red Room, where round one parents have been posted. <laughs>